Good evening and welcome to Olosa Fumar Takes. This is our 243rd take live from the Alec Bradley Lone Star Studio of Azel, Texas. I'm your host, Bear Duplessis, as always, and I'm so proud, so pleased, and so privileged to be with you all tonight. This is going to be a fantastic show, a show I've been looking forward to for an awful long time with one of the league's, uh, one of the league's most underrated players of all time. What league am I talking about? You'll have to find out soon enough, but one of the cigar industry's up-and-coming uh, preeminent people. I am so excited. I absolutely love this man's cigar. We've talked about it in the last few weeks with my Top 10 show. I'm done enough teasing, so let's get off to introductions. But before we get to formal introductions, we do have to thank the people that make the show possible. Of course, that's tonight's show's sponsors. And tonight's show is sponsored by Drew Estate. Drew Estate has introduced recently the innovative new concept, the Acid Coup Variety 3-Pack. Yes, for those non-traditional cigar smokers, you're opportunity is here this the acid cube variety pack is a three pack of acid cigars that has a has a undercrown shade available for the traditional cigar smoker so if you are a non-traditional cigar smoker and want to experiment with traditional cigars or a traditional cigar smoker who wants to experiment with non-traditional cigars the acid cuba cuba uh, variety is for you so for the price of two acid cuba cubas purchasers receive three cigars with a free undercrown shade cigar included in the pack check these out at your drew diplomat retailer today the acid cuba variety for those who love the best of both worlds. And welcome, everyone. This is our 243rd take. Without further ado, with no more further delay, sponsored by United Cigar. Smoke one today and start living United. Tonight's guest is Ken Hamlet of The Arrival. You have arrived, sir. Welcome. Hey, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. Thank you, Ken. This, I've, been, I've been waiting for this. I've been, uh, I've been playing with the introduction in my head. Because I have a normal introduction that I do, and I was like, "How do I incorporate the arrival?" He's arrived. I, I hope I, I hope arrived. I did. You, I hope I did you justice. I'm not. Oh, you did. Oh, you did. And the excitement, the level of, of I mean, it was all there. So I'm I'm cool with it. And and we are arriving right now in this moment for sure. Fantastic. I I'm I'm so excited to get started tonight. I and the uh, the energy is only going to go up because I'm I'm drinking coffee tonight. Um, but, <laughs> um, so wanted to kick things off here with the, while I while I bring up tonight's cigar pairing uh, from down here. I've got a box of of your cigars, the arrival here. Um, well, what's left of them? I've smoked quite a few of them. This is the uh, robusto <laughs> box here. Uh, and uh, I'll be smoking one of these tonight. But uh, this was the cigar that was the number nine cigar in my top 10 list last year. Um, the Rebuso, uh, the arrival. So um, I've smoked through quite a few of these and everything. But um, before we kind of talked a little bit about this, I did want to ask you, this was something interesting I found out about you. You were, um, I, I know you live, you live in Houston now, as we talked about before the yes. show. Uh, you grew up in Memphis, which we'll get into later. But you were born in Germany. Born so, in Germany. So you've, yeah, you're actually, just from all over the place, huh? Oh, a little bit everywhere. You know, Army Army kid. Um, actually, two out of four of my siblings, we were all born. Well, two of us were born in Germany at different times. Um, and then everyone else was born in different cities. So we none of us were born in the same city. Uh, my older brother was born in Frankfurt. I was born in Wiesbaden. Um, so, and, and at different times as well, cause I got a brother that's in between the two of us. So we, we oh, have goodness. bounced around quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. So got two of us born in the States, two of us born out of the country. Um, but yeah, so it, 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 uh, it was exciting. It definitely, uh, you know, a different, 
a different type of uh, you know growing up in, in, in early early days. So I, um, I heard you were there to see you about your fifth or sixth birthday. Is that right? Say again. You were in Germany till you're about your till you're oh, about four or five, six years old, something like that. Like five, like five, about five years old. Yeah. Okay. We were talking a little bit of this about this before the show. So that means that you're because we're about the same age or you're just a little yeah. bit older than me. I'm going to be turning 40. My wife's older than me, though. She's she's closer to your age. And um, yeah, uh, she was born in Germany as well. She was born in Launchstuhl. So you guys were probably there at the same time, which is kind of crazy. Exactly. No. Yeah. I mean, to think about to think about those early days. I mean, I, uh, I mean, and, and even with starting school, you know, that's when. We, when I got into school, we started to, you know, really learn a little bit of German um, and, and sort of had to bring that home. And that was like our homework of, of trying to learn more German, even though I was a U.S. citizen. But they still incorporated that into early, early stages of, of school. Um, and I still can remember little bitty things about, you know, just being there. But um, it definitely was an experience. It's awesome. Do, do you. I mean, did you retain any German or is it that that was long gone? Good and Morgan and good and talk. That's all I can give you. That's about, <laughs> that's, that's about it. That's about it. I didn't retain much of any of it. I know you were just down in uh, the Dominican for Pro Cigar. Have you been to Inner Tobacco over in Germany? I have not yet. And um, okay. I actually plan on getting getting out there. Uh I planned on getting out there a couple of years ago. Of course, COVID hit and sort of messed up everybody's plans for, for the last couple of years. So um, those plans are getting back into into action to where I can get back out there. And um, actually, that plan, I'll be in uh, Switzerland at the end of this month. So oh, it's okay. going to be interesting. Yeah, I got some interesting things happening. So it should be good. Well, awesome. Fantastic. Um, I mean... And you've you've traveled all over for uh, you know your your previous career and uh, and then also uh, growing up too. So it's uh, so it was interesting to me to be that you you've called the same place home for the last twenty years, which still blew my mind that it's been twenty years since your league debut. I know it. I know it up here. I know it up here. Oh yeah. Uh, I just never did the math until like just a few minutes ago when we were talking before we in live. I was like, oh my gosh, it's been yeah, it has been twenty years. So you've you live in Houston now. So. Yeah, it doesn't feel real. Like I look at, it, I'm like, okay, I've been here, and the crazy part is I've been in this house for 20 years. So like, I really start to think, like, I mean, wow, like, like time is really flying by, because um, it didn't feel like 20. But when you, you start putting the dates together, and I think about, well, this year, uh, uh, next month is when I got drafted. Um, it's, it's that's a little that's crazy. 20 years ago. Unbelievable. Well, we're going to dive into yeah. all that in a little bit more here. So uh, tonight's major point is always brought to you by the people. Yes, cigar people, people who know everything about a lifetime of service. Protocol Cigars is more than just pool parties and good times. Well, maybe it is. But behind the fun is a motivation for service, a motivation for giving back. From the original Protocol Blue to the latest release in the Lawman series, Phoebe Cousins, Protocol has always been about honor, passion, and yes, the people. It's worth their life's work has been and always will be about Power of the P Protocol Cigars. So, Ken, um, I'm obviously smoking the uh, the Robusto, the cigar that we talked a little bit about here at the top. But I wanted yes, to sir. dive a little bit. This is your this is your first cigar. And I, um, I was thinking about this uh, when I first heard about the arrival, um, I guess pre-arrival to be a little punny, uh, before it came onto the market. I promise that's the last <laughs> time I'll do that. Um, but... Uh, um, 
And I, I heard it was, I was heard it was your cigar. I heard you were the person behind it. Was like, this is the Ken Hamlin cigar. And I was interested. And then I saw, I heard, I saw the branding behind it, the arrival and then produced by La Aurora. Yeah. And, uh, and then I thought about it, I don't know, just a few months back and everything. And then I look, I went back and I looked at the box and, and your name's not anywhere on it. It's just the arrival. Um, and I'm going to pull up the box again. I, this, yeah, this is one of the most beautiful presentations, uh, that's out there. And I'm not just saying this cause you're on my show. Um, I, I but I, I'm, I'm really impressed, uh, by the detail and everything. And I know from previous interviews that you've done, you, you really got into the whole process of everything. Uh, but, um, I mean, I'm sure like, was this kind of your vision of how you wanted this, the, the box to look and everything like this, or did you want it was, something that was it brand? That was that was it. Um, I, I wanted something, and and uh, Johnny Oliva is the uh, is the guy that I worked with, um, who who's at Laura. He does a lot of their creating the boxes and different things. And the first time I met him, uh, you know, I went to the meeting and we had an interpreter um, that was because he doesn't speak much of any English, and I wasn't speaking that much Spanish. And so, probably about the first hour. Um, you know, I was giving them the ideas on what I thought I, you know, wanted it to look like and, and the different details that I wanted. And after about an hour, we were in that meeting for about five or six hours. And cause we worked on, I mean, everything, box bands, um, I mean, everything, every type of creative detail on, on, on the box with the bands and everything. Um, but after about an hour of being in that meeting, we sort of, we sort of moved the interpreter out of the way. Like. I understood where he was coming from. He understood what I was coming from. We just got on a vibe and it just, it, it went from so far into us, like being on the same page that we actually created um, the whole thought process of what, what the video, what the real, what the, the sort of snapshot uh, would be for uh, the arrival in that same meeting. And we ended up video, we ended up filming it in the studio in Santiago a couple of months after that. So, um, yeah, it, it it really. I mean, I I actually enjoyed the entire process, and that's the one thing that I told Guillermo uh, Leon and, and told Manuel and Noah when I even discussed the possibility of doing you know the cigar was that I wanted to be a part of the entire thing. I didn't want to just have a piece of this or piece of this or you throw me this and then I'll put my name on this. I wanted to actually be uh, you know the 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 decision maker and 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 sort of making decisions and moving with all of the pieces of the creation of the entire cigar, not just this, but everything around it as well. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, I really loved the, I was, I, I didn't know what to expect when I, I, I actually bought um, a few of the cigars uh, singles. And then when mm -hmm. I invested in the first box, I honestly didn't know what to expect. I had not been into a shop in over a year at that time. Um because of COVID and everything. So I hadn't been able to see it on the shelf or anything. So I bought, um, I bought a box of these and when it came in the, when it came in the mail, it was a little bit larger than a normal box of cigars would be. And I was like, I was like, wait, do I, how many did I buy? You know? And, and, and I, uh, and then I opened it up and I was like, Oh my gosh. And you know, it's a 25 count box. Um, but I mean, it's can hold so much more and everything. So, Talk a little bit about the, um, the, the I guess, I guess the details the, the, behind yeah, it. Yeah, the details inside of it. The, the, this is, 
Is this, these are tobacco stems, right? Stems. Yes. Yeah. So, so instead, so, and like you, like you said earlier, um, that like my name isn't on the box, you know, I don't have anything like that on the box that that's giving you, uh, you know, Ken Hamlin, whatever, whatever. Um, but I wanted to bring in basically my backstory into the box a little bit. So, um, what I did was I, uh, with the, with the lid, um, to bring in sort of that playing time and sort of that my football career, Cowboy Blue with the lid. Um, and that represented the Dallas Cowboys and my time there. And then with that tobacco stems and, and that, that, that rail, that railing, um, I wanted to have the cigars looking like they were sitting in a nest. And that was bringing in the Seattle Seahawks and my time with the Seattle Seahawks and having those cigars sitting in what would it would look like a nest. Um, Oh, and, and have that have that representation of Seahawks, the okay. uh, bird nest, bird's nest um, to sort of bring that part in as well. So subtle, subtle little things, whatever, that also uh, give you some talking points. Um, of course, you know, people see that and they're like, why this or what are you doing with this? And it gives you things to talk about and really discuss and sort of give you a, a give them a story and a, just sort of some some thoughts and, um, and and reasons behind why the box has this or that. Well, it's absolutely it's absolutely gorgeous, and the uh, the cigar itself. Um, we were talking about this a little bit before the show. Um, I I like to pair cigars. Um, I like smoking cigars on their own too, and everything. But uh, what I've really enjoyed about your uh, blend is that it pairs incredibly well um, with coffee. Um, I'm a big coffee drinker, um, yeah. and it uh, it goes incredibly well with coffee. Um, um, I'm sh- it goes well with bourbon too uh <laughs> but tonight i'm doing <laughs> it with coffee but um but uh i talk a little bit so you, you said you were you were really involved in the process we'll talk about how you ended up at la aurora a little bit later but just yeah again focusing on the cigar here like what um i know you worked really closely with manuel and noah um to get yeah. the blend just right and everything this is features a a uh, ecuadorian sumatra wrapper correct correct Okay. And uh as well as well as as well as the binder, um, Ecuadorian Sumatra. And, and then, then multinational filler. Yeah, go ahead, sir. Please. Yes. Yeah. In the filler. So in the filler you have Dominican, Nicaraguan, and Brazilian. Um now initially, um, so this is sort of uh, I guess the reason behind first off, uh the Ecuadorian Ecuadorian Sumatra rapper. I uh probably before I actually got to DR and was and was really getting involved into actually creating a cigar, a couple of years before that, me and a, me and a couple of guys at the shop, we started really paying attention to, you know, what what our top five cigars were, or, or you know, what were our go tos, and and um, you know, I started using some of the apps to sort of look at, okay, what's what's this cigar? What's the breakdown of this cigar? This cigar, and I started looking at into deeper into why do I like this cigar more than this one, or vice versa. And um, I saw that majority of the cigars, one of my one of my favorite cigars is the Laid Out uh, by Davidoff. Um, and, and a couple of other ones that I enjoy, uh, Oya de, de Nicaragua has a the silver um, that I enjoy. Oh, yeah, it's um, one of my favorites. Yeah. Absolutely. So so I started looking at all these cigars and all of them had an Ecuadorian, Ecuadorian wrapper on. And... I was like, okay, because this something has to be picking up, you know. So yeah. So um, I knew 
that was going to play a big part in, in, in this cigar. I mean, I knew that I wanted to have that to be a piece of the cigar. Um, initially, it was Ecuadorian wrapper, Brazilian binder, and then had some Dominican Nicaraguan in the filler. And um, <laughs> we, we got to the point where after, you know, you start smoking a little bit of this, change it up a little bit of this, change it up a little bit of this. I was like, let's double down with the Ecuadorian. I, I'm I'm cool with it because that's that's my that's my go-to. Um, and then putting that Brazilian into the filler, it sort of uh, to me it it smoothed out what the Nicaraguan tobacco would do, and it just made that Dominican tobacco even more like aromatic. Um, it, it gave it it gave it more of of, of flavor. Um, and I think it just smoothed it out even because, I mean, you'll smoke it and you'll get a little bit of that that pepper and that spice, but then it just smooths out. And I feel like it becomes a, a cigar that, and this is one reason behind it, whatever, the cigar that, um, whether it's a beginner or someone who's a light smoker, it, will, it won't be too overpowering for them. But at the same time, someone who I would call a tailpipe smoker um, that wants just that hard knock it'll at least keep their attention. It's not going to go crazy into the, into the like full Lajero and just give you a whole bunch of just spice and strength and power, but it'll keep their attention enough to where they could, they could still say, you know what? I enjoyed it because it gave me a little bit here and there and it changed up on me. I think uh, that's, I think that's what makes this uh, a terrific cigar for your first one out of the gate too, Ken is because it's so approachable um like you said there there's so many people so many different types of smokers can enjoy it um and i really i really like it too because if if you're there's so many cigars now on the market and so like when you when you when you put something on the shelf too like that with the the packaging that we talked about it really it really captures the attention so if you're not there if ken hamlin ken hamlin's not there or you know that's if exactly someone's not, <laughs> Go ahead, no, please. you're about to say no, no, you're about to exact this is that's the reason behind um and not to cut you off, but that's the reason behind um being it being important when we were even when I was even thinking about it, the, the importance of the presentation. Um uh because of when you are think about it, when you're you're putting someone on the shelf as a newbie and and you're putting it next to Padron, Davidoff, Fuente, uh, you know, Drew Estate, uh, you know, all of these brands that, you know, people that don't even smoke, but they come in and they they were told to grab this cigar, that cigar. Right. And that, so that sort of got in their head of this is what I'm looking for. You need something that's going to 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 stand there and actually draw people's attention at times where it's like, okay, what is that? You know, I mean, uh, you know, instead of, they know that this is just a regular old wood box and it just has Padron on it, but that's a hell of a cigar. Like, and I know what it is. Now it's something that pops and, and now it, it, it gets, it gives itself a chance for someone to say, you know what, let me try one of those and see what it's about. And, and, and then now let the cigar speak for itself. And if you like it, you know, and if you love it, all right, now you can go grab you a couple more and, and, and really dive into what it's about and spend that time, spend that one-on-one time to see what it's really about. 
and it, it doesn't stop there, Ken, even with the label too. Like I know we're kind of getting into like the details, but I mean, it is it, the devil is in the details, like they say. But they're like it's yeah. the the label. I, I don't know. You're you're so gonna tell me is, what it. You're gonna tell me what yes, it is. Indeed. <laughs> it, it's it looks like a glass shattering, uh, almost with the gold uh, inlay and then the blue background, which we we know is from the Dallas Cowboy trip, the Dallas Cowboy yes. tribute. Uh, yeah, walk us through yeah. this because I mean it's yeah so, I mean it pops. So this sort of gets into the the name creation as well, the arrival as well as so. Uh, my nickname in football was the Hammer. So that was the initial name, which I wanted it to be. I was going the Spanish version and the name of the company, the name of this cigar was going to be El Martillo. Okay. Which means the hammer. Right. Um, in, in Spanish. Uh, it, it, that was short lived because after about a good, <laughs> a good email of sending it off to the lawyers, they were like, yeah, no. Uh, that can't happen for this reason, that reason, and a whole bunch of stuff. Most people thought it was because of Padron and the whole little, ha- but it wasn't even Padron. It was a couple other companies that um that probably has a name. Not to yeah. say could yeah. could have it could have been an issue. And my whole thing was I'm not going to step into this industry and step on toes. Um, I rather come with a clean slate. You know, I've I've developed in this short period of time some great relationships. And I'm not going to come in here and try to, you know, rub rub the shoulders, you know, rub things the wrong way. So uh, from that, I had to figure out a name that, that you know, would fit. But with the band, um, I still wanted to have that play a part. So that's mm-hmm. that hammer that's smashing down on that glass and that's giving that shattering effect. Wow. And And, and in that, this is where the name arrival comes about too, because with my playing experience, whatever, that's how I that's how I made my presence felt. Hard hits, you know, on the field and really, you know, being out there playing defense the way that we played defense back in that time. Um, but at the same time, this is what I want my cigar to do, which is the two things that I say that I want to do all the time, whatever, is make an impression and an impact. And that's what I want this cigar to do. That's why I say standing on its own, not Ken Hamlin being there, but standing on its own. I wanted to make an impression and an impact. And that's what that sort of symbols, it symbolizes well on the band. It symbolizes, it symbolizes that impact. And, uh, and that's, a, that's an impression that's going to stick and stay. Um, so hopefully when they smoke this cigar, when you all smoke the cigar, that it does have an impact to where you will say, you know what? I'm gonna try that again because I need to. I need to see what was that note I just got. Or what you know? Damn, that was good with this. Or you know, I love to smoke this or whatever during this time or whatever. Whatever, however you arrive in that moment, that's your moment of arrival. Doesn't matter if it doesn't fit with the next person who smoked it, who enjoyed it a different way. It's your arrival. It's your moment. It's your. That's that's your relationship that you have with this cigar for that however long it takes you to smoke it. But you have arrived in that moment. And that's where that sort of statement comes from of you have arrived is that you, you now you get to kick back whatever and, and experience and have that experience with this cigar and, and let it take you wherever you want it to take you. Yeah, I'll I'll tell you, it's um, the the first impression I had with your cigar. You know, we talked about my first impression of opening the box. But when I like I told you, I bought some singles ahead of uh, before that and I had yes. smoked it. And um 
I, I tell you the the impression that I got it didn't it didn't smack me like a hammer, but it was it was um, I I use this term to describe a lot of cigars that have me in it, there. It's an, it's a very engaging cigar. So mm-hmm. from the very be- from the moment you light it to the moment that you finish it, um, there's there's some there's a lot going on that just kind of captures yeah. your attention. You mentioned the aroma a moment ago. That's something that I really got. I, I know we're we're gonna get in the weeds here a little bit with my experience, but I'll tell you, uh, it's it's um, it has this very unique aroma that I've gotten on a few cigars before, but it's very rare. Um, and it has like this almost this like root beer aroma. I know it sounds kind of weird. Um, no, but, but I, has, I got it. Yeah, there's this sweet kind of aromatic like fennel kind of herbaceousness that just comes off of it. It's just very very enticing. Mm-hmm. But then the smoke is completely different from that. Like I don't taste root beer on this cigar. Um, you know, there's like there's beautiful baking spices, and um, I had uh, George Brightman who was a, is a renowned. Um, cigar aficionado he uh worked for cigar aficionado for years he worked for davidoff for years he's he's a mm-hmm. he was an industry he's an industry icon um and I've been very very fortunate to develop a friendship with him had him on for my top 10 show and i had given this cigar to him this and all my other top 10 cigars blind and he had smoked it and he's like and he had I smoked it ahead of time he left me some notes and it was really cool how he talked about your cigar and he said this is a very he's like this is an instant classic it was a very classic uh, smoking to him. So I was like, I knew when I knew uh, I want, when I eventually would have you on the show, I got, would get to say that. And I knew that that would probably awesome. be complimentary to you. Cause it, it, it is it, it, a lot of ways. It's there's a lot of classic flavors about it, but at the same time, it's a very engaging cigar from beginning to end. And that's why I've, I've continued to enjoy it so much. Um, now you went with three Vitolas. Um Yes, Robusto, um, the Gordo, and um, now I'm drawing a blank. The, the Toro, Grand, correct? Grand, Grand Toro, yeah, Grand Toro. And um, now I've I've seen you smoke all um, all three of these in various interviews, photos. I've seen you smoke all three, so I know you smoke all you smoke all of them. Um, but what's what if you had a favorite Vitola? What which would it be? Go to would be the Grand Toro. I um. So especially it's for multiple reasons. First off, because a lot of times I don't ever, you won't catch me sitting my cigar down. I I have a a close, a close proximity type of relationship with my cigar where it's right here. And I am, I'm constantly either smoking retro and taking in the smell. Um, And so because for a longer smoke as well, and I feel like I get, I get a little bit more of the experience with the with the Grand Toro. Um, mm-hmm. With with the Robusto, I feel like I get a little bit more of the. It's not overpowering, like you said earlier. I I, I don't. It's not an overpowering type of uh, spice or, or 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 strength of the cigar, but I get more on the Robusto, sort of that spice up front, and then it smooths out with with the Grand Toro. I feel like I get a a balanced. Uh, of the flavor and the the aroma and that mm-hmm. spice throughout the smoke, where it it just gives me that full experience. Um, so it's a it's a combination of reasons. 
No, I, I, I agree with you. The Robusto is a little bit more intense. That's probably why I prefer it over the Grand Toro, uh, which is the six mm-hmm. by 58, the Toro five and three quarters by 52. And then this is the five by 50 that I'm smoking. But that, yeah. what I remember from smoking the Grand Toro uh, a couple of times that I had, I really liked um, the coolness of the smoke. Uh, not that the Robusto is hot by any stretch, but the the, the smoke oh, yeah. is very cool. And it's interesting the way you describe how you smoke a cigar. I, I this is going to sound really weird. Like I'm I'm trying. I, I apologize. I'm not trying to be creepy, but I, I watched an interview <laughs> with you. I watched an interview that you did um, where you're talking about a number of things. But you know, you obviously talking about the arrival as well. And you were smoking. I, I presumably a Grand Toro because it was a, a little bit larger in hand. But I I was listening to you and I was watching the video and he, you were at first I thought you were like me, which I, I fiddle with a lot of things. Like I have a lot of things here on my table that, you know, like my cutter or something that I'll, I'll, you know, I'll play with in my hand or something like that. At first I thought you were fiddle, you know, you fiddled like I did, but, but I noticed that it was very much a more relationship with the cigar. You were, you were, you were holding it and you were moving it around in your hands a little bit. Uh, you yeah. were looking at it, smoking it, smelling the aroma as you were talking. And it was almost uh, I'm sure it was unconscious to you or subconscious yeah. to you. Like it, it just, but it was, I, I know what you're talking about now that you say it out loud. I'm like, Oh, that, that totally makes sense. Now that kind of clicks a little bit. Um, you know, you know, you know, a lot of times, um, especially when you're in like small groups or even bigger groups and, and you're smoking cigars, uh, this can sort of get the cigar can sort of get lost in the shuffle of the communication and the different things going on around. And I think that's sort of still a way to, to keep this as a part of it, to to still have that smell, to still sort of make sure that you still have that one-on-one, even though there's a whole bunch of other stuff going on, um, even with an interview or whatever, of, of being interactive, you know, with with the interview, but still being able to have that sort of time with the cigar to where you, you, can, you can still be able to get that enjoyment that you would want to get if you were just just you and a cigar. If it was just you, just me and a cigar back here and, and I could focus on it, I still want to get a little bit of that, even though I might have other stuff going on. I, I'll tell you, there's two impressive things. Impressive by your stretch and impressive, of course, with who makes your cigar too, is you did a lot of talking during that interview and uh, either it was the way it was cut or or just the way it just happened, but you didn't, I didn't see you actually puffing on it terribly too much, but it stayed lit the whole time. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, is he going to puff on that cigar at any point? And like, and then you would, and then it was still, it was still puffing. you like, you never had to relight it. And then of course the nerd, hey. that's a cigar nerd in me. I went back and I smoked one of your, I smoked, uh, I picked, I, I didn't have the grand tour. I had a Toro though. I didn't smoke a Rebusa. Yeah. And I was like, okay. And I literally went back and smoked that cigar I let it smoked it for a couple minutes and I'd let it sit for like two minutes, three minutes. I did yep. two minutes, three minutes and four minutes between puffs and it stayed lit the whole time. I was like, Oh my God, this is, <laughs> I, the I, way I would impressive. say that's a lot to do. That's a lot to do with, you know, the, the tobacco first, of course. Um, yeah. But then, but then of course the rollers at La Aura, um, to know what they're doing and to, and it's a, it's just a, a it, it's up here now with them and to watch them um, roll the cigar and, and see how it's just unconscious or whatever. Now it's just, okay, mm-hmm. I know what I'm putting in his hand. I know what I'm doing. It's, and it's just going. Um, 
I actually, uh, with the first, <laughs> the first 30 cigars, the arrival that were ever rolled, I, I was tasked to roll the first 30. And um, so I get down, <laughs> I'm sitting at the table and I'm, you know, after, after getting my hand slapped by one of the rollers, probably about 20 or 30 times and getting through about five of the cigars, which they probably would have done five in three minutes or four minutes. I did five in probably like 45 minutes. <laughs> so out of the 30, I think I did five of them. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and let the professionals do it. But um, the respect that I have for them and, and how they roll, I mean, and the compliments that I get from, from just individuals when they're smoking a cigar and they're like, look at that. Look at how they ash. Look at, you know, look at how it's staying, like you said, staying, staying lit. The structure of it, the the draw, the the draw is one thing that I get. You know, people are you know constantly saying whatever them. This has a impeccable draw, mm-hmm. and that it, it's all credit to that the guys and, and and women in that in that that uh that office that room that are rolling these cigars and 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 knowing and this is goes play back to what we'll talk about whenever you said later on about just the decision on on going with Laura is is that's one of the pieces of the knowledge and the experience that they have um, that plays a part. Yeah. I'm, a lot of it obviously is, is, is definitely skill in the making of the cigar and stuff, but it's also, it goes into like the blending too uh, with Manuel and Noah to, to put these cigars, oh, yeah. these tobaccos together, the way that they're expertly rolled. And then for, oh, you yeah. know, it, it to be able to hold, you know, a light for that long is just, is <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just really, really terrific. The so, Q- the Q and A's that that me and Manny would have. Um, I mean, I this was a this was a great experience, but this was a learning experience on the run for me too, um, mm-hmm. because we sat in the office numerous times, numerous days, numerous trips. Where, I mean, we were just smoking pyros and just trying stuff, and and um, you know, let's try this one out. What do you think about this? Smoke that. Sit down. We'll discuss it. And he has sort of helped me elevate you know, my palate as well, because it was times that I could say, you know what, I'm getting something, but not really identifying what it was and, and to really be able to sit down and sort of almost take me to class on, you know, what this is, this is, this is, and this is, and then, okay, what's the characteristics of this type of tobacco, this type of tobacco, and to really understand that, oh, so no, it's not just that, but that's actually like the licorice taste or, or oh, mm-hmm. it's not just, um, you know, citrus, but what kind of citrus? So it's not just a woody type of, but what kind of wood? And really watching him and um, Wasker, who's another guy who, who's in the factory, who's elevated himself in the company, um, do, you know, just a, a, a you know, when they're, when they're sitting there and they're going through a, a, a blend and really breaking it down, just watching them blew my mind on how they were, it wasn't just pepper, but what kind of pepper? It was this, you know, black pepper. It was red pepper. It was, this, and I'm like, wow, okay. So now I got a chance to really learn at the same time while I'm creating, and it, it just made the experience even bigger. Because I mean, Manny, he's a, he's been in the game thirty plus years. He's, I mean, he's he's been doing this for so long. I mean that he, you know, I had to get to slow him slow him down sometimes on. Listen, I, I understand that you you're saying it at a faster pace than I'm at right now. So let's slow it down and let's and he was right there along the ride. Um, and that's the one thing I respect about him and Guillermo is that I mean, once I told them, you know, what 
what I wanted to do. They were like, we, we can do that. And, and we actually love the fact that you want to, that you want to be a part of this whole process. Um, so, you know, it, it was almost like, you know, a little bit more respect because I definitely wanted to take it from, from, from step one all the way through. Yeah, we'll, we'll get a little bit more into this in just a minute, but just to kind of, I, wanted, I did want to take a step back in your in your life and your journey because I wanted to talk a little bit about your origin story too. Um, you know, you're, you you know, born in Germany, everything, uh, moved around, but then you settled as a uh, later on in your childhood in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, now I can hear I can hear the Southern in your voice. Are your are your folks from the South too? Or no, actually, uh, my mom and dad are from Ohio. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, so I I believe it's because of all the bouncing around that I, <laughs> I I got to adapt in so many different areas. Um, but spending so much time uh in in Tennessee, uh sort of in Arkansas sort of probably helped that out. But yeah, my folks are from Tennessee. Um and, and then from there sort of moved around. But yeah. So settling in Memphis grew up in there. Um now Me- Memphis has this- Memphis has this this complicated uh, existence. I say, um, I love the city of Memphis. I think it's uh, one of my one of my really good friends from college has uh, lived there for the last twenty years as well. Um, and he uh, was a teacher, and then he's now a pharmacist. He went he taught while he went. He put himself through pharmacy school. And now he's a pharmacist and everything. Wow. And uh, um, and it's it's this beautiful city with a lot of rich history and everything. And of course, it also has you know, it's, it's complications and everything. Now you grew up in the, I, I believe is the, the, now I'm going to say it. It's, it's the Forsyth or the fire fire. What, what there's a neighborhood that you grew up in. Frazier. 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 Okay. Yes. Forsyth. I don't know where I got yeah. that. So it's, um, it's, the, <laughs> it's the, so that's the North side of Memphis. Um, and Memphis isn't like crazy big, but it still has its sort of sectors or, or areas. But um, yeah, so on the North side of, of Memphis, I, I was in Frazier. And you went to high school there as well. Um, yeah. Played sports. Now, I, I found this really interesting. You, you talked about this in an interview where uh, you compared the high school you went to to, <laughs> to the high school from Patterson, New Jersey in Lean on Me, the movie, where Morgan Freeman is the star of the film, uh, plays Joe Clark, the principal. And yeah, I love that film, by the way. So that when you compared oh, yeah. it to that, I was like, wow, uh, that must have been uh, an experience for one. And two, I was like, I, was. I love that you compared it to Lean on Me because I love that film. Um, but I mean, that, I mean, like you said, that, I mean, that had to have been a challenging uh, time in your life as you were growing yeah. up. You had to grow up pretty I fast, mean, it and, sounds and, like. And for those, yeah, for those who know the movie, uh, this was Lean on Me before Joe Clark. Uh, this was <laughs> before, before the reform, <laughs> yeah, uh, before, before the reform before. happened, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was, uh, you know, it, it was, um, it was a challenge to, to really, and it also opened my eyes on, you know, what do you want? And, and, and really understanding, you know, that there was a time where I'm like, you know, I want, I want more than this. I want to be, I want, I want to be here and not here and what it's going to take to do that and sort of, you know, like you said, grow up a little bit quicker to where now you got to put things into play and put things in order on, you know, what you had to do. I mean, you, you walking home from school and you see, you know, a lot of, 
you know, drug dealers and drug addicts. Uh, you, 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 you're walking through that. You're coming to school, and it's it's uh, it's it's not organized. Um, uh, I always tell people this comparison because I mean, like, you know, when you go to lunch, you go to, go to lunch in school, and mm-hmm. um, you know, you have your teachers in there that's sort of making sure everything runs accordingly in in lunch to make sure you know nothing's going on. Um, we didn't have that. You know, teachers didn't come to the lunchroom. It was so it was. You know, some days it was mayhem, you know, because there was no there was no adult supervision oh, that wow. was going on. So so you just didn't know what could have possibly happened. This is and this is the reason why early on um, I I learned how to play chess because of this. I was hoping right you'd here. bring this up. Yeah. I, I yeah. found out you were a chess so, player. Yeah. So because of that and going into the lunchroom and seeing the chaos. Um, I started just going, taking my lunch and just going to my English teacher's class who he taught chess during lunch. So I got to learn chess and really just started, you know, I mean, that, I think chess is, is, a, is an awesome game and an awesome like mind, a mind worker because it, it makes you make some certain decisions depending upon, you know, what your opponent's doing. And um, so I ended up getting a chess board early on about eighth or ninth grade but nobody in my house played chess <laughs> so <laughs> i had the challenge of playing against myself a lot of times and trying oh, to wow. spin the board play spin the board play and and um and that's how i sort of you know other than going to the lunch i mean uh, to my english teacher's class at home i would just play on the board you know against myself and um so mm. so that that was uh, i mean it was definitely a challenge, I think, because it's just so much uh, with all the history and everything that Memphis uh, has. It's just, you know, it, I feel like we get to a point where sometimes we're comfortable with our surroundings. And, um, and 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 there is some people don't feel like there's a chance for a change. So they just go with it. And, and I feel like at a time, that's what it was, especially in that school. That's what it was. It was just like, this is what it is. And um, and I just, you know, I, I made sure to and this is another reason why I played. I played four sports in high school, um, played, started out, you know, you got football, then basketball. And I actually ran track and played baseball at the same time. Um, and that was for four years. And that kept me busy. So mm-hmm. I, there wasn't a chance for me to to really dive into a lot of the other stuff that a lot of my other friends had the opportunity to get into um and 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 it kept me on a straight and narrow also because of my focus on what i wanted um i I didn't give my chance i didn't give myself an opportunity then my dad was he was beyond strict so while my friends were 16 15 16 17 out you know going out to the clubs and doing all this stuff yeah i was (laughs) either i was in the house if i wasn't playing sports um so you know my my outings were Going to a basketball game, going to a football game, track meets, you know, and playing baseball. So now here's my question because of chess and everything you, you, you played the way that I'm no, by, I, by no means a professional football analyst or anything, but by the way, I observed you playing football, you were a very calculating player, which obviously has its roots in your affinity for chess. Were you always calculating? And that's why chess kind of like, 
like you and chess got kind of got together or did chess turn you into this calculating person? I think that I, so, so even before high school, um, I always tell people like, I, I wasn't a kid that was just, you know, naturally, I'm just that guy. That wasn't it. Um, I, I, I wasn't the star in Pee Wee and then became a star in, 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 in middle school and then was a star when I got to high school. I sat on a bench. And, and that grew something in me to where, um, you know, I felt like once, once I cracked this, this lineup, nobody's taking it. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it was more here than it was that, oh, I was the fastest or I was the strongest. Or, no, I didn't mind whatever somebody being, even, even going further into the league, I didn't mind somebody being faster. They can't pick up on it here to where they can translate it. Me running a four four or four five, them running a four two, but when I play, I still run that four 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 five. And when they play, they're running a four six four seven because they got to think and process and this that and the other, and it slows them down. I'm still playing the same speed that I play regardless, and they have to think about things. And that's where that's where I beat a lot of people, and that's where I really that's where I really made. Um, I made my way is first off being on the bench and just having that chip on my shoulder. Um, and that's what made it to where now this is a thinking, this is a thinking man's game, um, playing the position that I play, especially on defense. I mean, you had to sort of know where everybody is, uh, at times get people lined up. So in order to do that, you, you got to know your job and more. You have to understand what's going on outside of, I mean, you have to almost be that defensive coordinator, you know, on the field. Um, and I took pride in actually not just learning my job, but learning what the linebackers had going on. Okay, what gaps are the defensive linemen? Where are they going? Because where's my fit? And not knowing, okay, now when this guy moves, though, now where's my fit in that? So it made it a little bit easier for me, depending on whether we were four, three in this one, or we played three, four over here, I could adapt and, and adapt a lot quicker than a lot of other people could. And that played a part in what, what you talk about with chess and, and because a lot of times you have to adapt different moves. It makes you adapt because a guy could sit there and go into a, to the attack on, on chess and it puts you in that defense mechanism to where now, how do I retreat and still be able to attack him on his next play? How do I make this move and maybe give up somebody, but now he's putting himself in a vulnerable situation. It, it plays a big part in it. I, I try to, you know, I'm in the process of trying to, you know, eventually teach my son chess, whatever, but like, mm -hmm. it's going to be a slow, it's going to be like now teaching someone else, whatever it's going to be. It's a lot different because I just learned. Um, I mean, I learned it just basically first off sitting back and watching secondly now. Okay. I, I I'm going to take my bruises while I learn. Now, I'm going to jump in and I'm going to take all the bruises. You can beat me a couple of times, but I'm going to take these bruises and I'm going to learn from them. And um, I think that that's what sort of that whole sitting on the bench first off and then um, just understanding how can I, how can I, how can I outthink this guy? How can I, how can I do something that, okay, he's fast, but I can do these other things better and make that more of a focal point than just speed or strength. It's, I, you're teaching your son chess. My mother-in-law actually, uh, over Christmas, she took him for about a week and everything. She taught him chess, and so he wanted to play. Just this, this happened just last weekend, and he probably hadn't played in a month. 
Uh, and I was like, you play like, wouldn't this happen? He's like, oh yeah, grandma taught me. I'm like, okay. So yeah. he set up the board, he set up the pieces, he knew where everything went and he knew how all the pieces moved. Mm -hmm. Um, and we played and it was, it was, first of all, so much fun. And he had so much fun, even though he, I, I beat him. I didn't let him win. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. um, and, um, cause I wanted him to think about, it. I'm like, okay, how, okay. Okay. Well, what did I do here that, that, how did yep. you lose? And, and he, so we started talking about that and the, you know, and, you know, as best of a conversation between an adult and a seven-year-old can be. And like, <laughs> I can, I can tell he's going to, he's going to, he's going to beat me very soon. Like, cause he, he has a, a, he, he has a mind for it. And it was, it was and, really. And that was, will, that yeah. will for it too. Like when you, and that's the one thing, I mean, I, I don't give my son a, a, a break on anything. It doesn't matter what we're playing. I, I, listen, until you can beat me, I'm not going to be that guy that, oh, you got it. No. You're going to have to learn. You're going to have to learn the hard My dad was the same way. My dad didn't never oh, yeah. let me win. Never. Oh, yeah. Never. It gives, it, you, it gives you that grit. I mean, it's almost mm -hmm. like a callus. It builds up to where you're like, okay, you know, I don't want that no more. Like, you, you, you've you got you to gotta sort of, I mean, you, you can learn a lot from losing. You can learn yeah. a lot from failing. You can learn a lot from it. And it's not, you can actually learn more from failure than you can from success. And, and I think that that's what, and that's what, you know, uh, it's hard to say sometimes, whatever, but now kids, this generation and younger kids, I mean, it's, it's, we've done so much because every generation wants to do better for their kid. And of course we make them a little bit greener and we make them a little bit less, you know, less tough and, 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 and have to deal with certain situations because of course we want better for our kids. Mm -hmm. But um, I think that's what, that's what, uh, you know, gave me that sort of grit and that grind even with peewee ball, um, my dad, my dad never paid for me to play. If I wanted to play, I had to go out and cut yards, rake grass. I had to pay myself to play to play peewee ball. Oh wow! Um, so that thirty or forty dollars would have come in from my pocket. If you want to play, and this is one reason why quitting was never an option. I I had to grind <laughs> to even get out here. I'm not giving up, even though I was on the bench. No, wow. and 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 I, and I think people saw that this is when I was in middle school, um, again on the bench football. So track season comes around. Now our track coach, he's an assistant coach on the football team, and while I'm running, and I was pretty, I was pretty good at track too. And while I would be running at practice, he would always come into the middle of the track uh, uh, to the field, and he would yell at me while I'm running around. He was like, he would always say, "You don't have to beg to play out here." Oh, you're going to run. You don't have to beg because he knew he, he knew I was on the bench in football. And so he was like, no, this is your time. And so it's sort of like you, you these are the moments where you got to grind it out in order to when you get to that opportunity in that point, it, you don't you don't you don't relinquish that that opportunity. And those are things that, you know, later on, you sort of see it. But in the time you you you, you feel some type of way sometimes. But that that's what molded me. That's what molded me to 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 have the sort of that 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 sort of not just a chip on your shoulder, but to understand first off, anything given to you, whatever, can easily be taken. Um, I, I had to grind and work for for a little bit of everything that I got, and um, and I, it made me appreciate it even more. But it also made me value it way more to where I can't let nobody take it from me. Yeah, I've heard I've heard you talk about that, and I know that you're. 
your favorites, uh, not your favorite, but your, your best sport was actually baseball. Yeah. It's crazy how, you know, you think, especially you look at, you look at some of these contracts now, you'd be like, good Lord. Oh, why didn't I go that route? But, um, baseball and because again, I mean, it's, and this is, I love Memphis. Um, Memphis has always been good to me and, and, and they will continue to be good. I mean, it, it taught me a lot, but mm-hmm. our school, there was, there wasn't that much organization. So the baseball coach at times, um, he just passed away, rest in peace. Uh, uh, but there were times where the coach would ask me like who should pitch or who should play this position. I'm in the 10th grade. Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, but I mean, I, I just about, just about every year I, I led the league in, in, in batting. Um, I mean, I was, I, I, if I got on base, I was getting around the bases, uh, mm-hmm. period. I, I, I was never a guy that was always hitting for home runs because I knew when I got on base, I'm going to make my way around. Um, but I had, I had great seasons in baseball. Billy, Billy Bean uh, would have loved you. <laughs> oh, but listen, oh, the analytics, the analytics were off the chain. I mean, I had, I had the analytics rolling. Um, but yeah, baseball, um, and, and, and I could have, I could have took an opportunity and possibly, uh, you know, but, but the thing was is that I didn't have, and this is in football too, um, there was nobody before me that I could look at and say, oh, this is an example of what that looks like. Mm-hmm. Even in football, there was no, nobody at my school or anything where I could say, you know, oh, this is the example of, you know, a successful football player here that I could sort of see, okay, this is the route he took. Or, or use like like now we have so many camps with guys coming back and and, and you know giving those those sort of nuggets of, of knowledge and information. We didn't have that. No, I didn't have anybody whatever that with baseball that even my coach wasn't experienced in it to be able to give me some information on okay uh, minor leagues you know triple A you know if you get drafted and going here and what that what that's going to look like. So I got a scholarship in football and it it seemed like the sensible thing to do. You, this is a guarantee. Um, and that's why I, ro- I roll with that. That's awesome. What a, what a uh, awesome story of growing up and I mean, challenging everything. I have, it, it, it gave me a lot to think about, not only in the way that I grew up, but also in the way that my kids are growing up now, kind of just learning about your story in particular. And, uh, and it, uh, and it, we have, we have some commonalities. We're, we're, like I said, we're about the same age. Um, I don't know how old your, your, your kids are, but, um, um, nine and seven, nine and seven. Yeah. Mine's seven, mine are seven and three. And so, yeah. um, it's, um, it gives you a lot to think about the way that, um, how I was raised, um, and how, uh, and how you were raised. Uh, my father wasn't as strict, but he was, he was, he probably could give your dad a little bit of run for his money in some areas, but, <laughs> um, but, um, but 
it's um i mean it, i mean it's truly a success story ken i mean thank you thank you so much for sharing that part um we're gonna go back into to your story a little bit more as we kind of talk about your college and, and playing days here in a little bit but i want to take a break here and we're gonna break for our uh united cigar presidential trivia segment as i told you don't worry we're not gonna take you back to class too much but uh this is a fun little segment that we do that's uh that's sponsored by uh united cigars uh it's uh united cigars featuring la giana havana distributors of jose dominguez bandolero garofalo and the highly acclaimed atabay byron and alfonso lines from selected tobacco so smoke one today and start living united now we've talked about uh your time in memphis tennessee uh there have been three presidents three of them that have hailed from tennessee that was their quote-unquote home state and those presidents were Andrew Jackson, Jackson. James Polk, Matt. and and Andrew Johnson. Okay. How many of these three presidents were actually born in the state of Texas, or born in Texas? Excuse me, the born in the state Tennessee. of Tennessee. Uh, is it A, all three of them? B, one of them? Or C, zero of them? I want to say. I want to say one. I'm glad you didn't say three because it's it's the answer is not one, but it's zero. None zero. of them were actually born yeah. in Tennessee. Um, and uh, yeah, it's so. So we've actually had no we've actually had no presidents actually born in the state of Tennessee. Uh, but I should have had my daughter. I should have my daughter right here to answer that question. <laughs> Andrew Jackson notoriously is the president that actually has no home state. Because the area he was born in the wilderness, uh, and uh, uh, and he where the land that he was born in is actually still still to this day in 2023 is debated whether it's North Carolina or South Carolina. So we have so no idea. Not- yeah, we have no idea where he was born. He was born in either North Carolina or South Carolina, but it was in the uh, the wilderness, uh, specific wilderness, and. Uh, uh, but he, but he, but he <laughs> lived in Tennessee for most of his adult life and everything. And that's, you know, where he started his military career. That's where he ran his presidential yeah. campaign out of. Uh, Andrew Johnson, very famously, too, became vice president at the end of the Civil War from Tennessee. Which, I mean, God, what a what a controversial move that was for Lincoln and and for him to actually break away from his home state, who was part of the Confederacy, to because he yeah. was a Unionist. Um, but here's the small world that we live in. James K. Polk. He's one of my favorite presidents. Uh, he was in, but it's for a lot of reasons. He was notoriously boring. That was people thought he was a bore. Like he was not interesting to talk to, but I found a lot of things that he did in his presidency were very interesting. One of them is which this is the small world to tie into you. So you were drafted by the Seattle Seahawks, which of course is in Washington state, Yeah, which is part of the United States' first purchase of Pacific Coast, Pacific Coast property. So James K. Polk purchased the land that is known, uh, he purchased the Oregon Territory, which is now Oregon and Washington, mm-hmm. uh, from, the, uh, from the British Empire. So, uh, so where you started your NFL career uh, it made, was made, uh, made possible by, uh, by President Polk. By so President small, Polk. Small, small world. Small world. So, um, I like these little tie-ins. I like that. I like that. <laughs> I like these little tie-ins, you know, because they're they're they're. I I love presidential history. That's why we do this segment. Um, I find the presidents to be incredibly unique individuals, and they all have you know that we've had good ones, we've had bad ones, uh, some and most most of them in between, and and but they all 
Uh, they are all crazy. That's always my favorite thing to say. Every every single president has been absolutely nuts and out of their mind because you have to be. They have something. They have something to live wrong with them. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. You have to be nuts. Think about this, Ken. You have to be crazy. Um, I know you were the. I know you were the vi- vice president of your senior class, right? Yes. Yeah. Right, so, little foray into politics yourself, but I mean, you have to be nuts to be run for president because at any given point, half the country loves you and half the country hates you. So. That's pretty you much every president. <laughs> like you going into I'm office, about, like for real. <laughs> yeah, like you know, you know that major- well half of the people are going to despise you, and yeah. then you have to try to change that that narrative. Yeah, some a slight, way, a slight majority, one way or another, is either going to love you or hate you. But that's that's the that's the life that you leave uh, that that you lead as as president, which is just nuts. So, um, well, that was our presidential trivia segment sponsored by United Cigars, uh, uh, featuring La Giana Havana, distributors of Jose Dominguez, Bandolero, Garofalo, and the highly acclaimed Atabay, Byron, and Alfonso lines from Selected Tobacco. Smoke one today and start living united. Um, This next segment was something, uh, again, speaking of, you mentioned this about learning something new every day, Ken. Um, I had heard of this organization and this is our charity segment that we do every week with our guests. And I always ask my guests to bring a, a charity or nonprofit of their choosing that they want to talk about. Um, yeah. And I had heard about this organization. This is the Jack and Jill Foundation, um, specifically the chapter of Sugarland, Missouri City, basically the greater Houston area, which is where you've yeah. resided for the last 20 years. Um, and uh, but uh, learned a lot about this great foundation. Uh, what a great organization it is. And the. Yeah. Um, the outreach that it has and everything. So I decided to give you the, the 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 stage a little bit here, and you can talk a little bit about this foundation and the Botillion, which is the uh, grand event that they've hosted. This is now their, I believe, 2022 was their 21st year um, yes. of doing the Botillion, which is a great event that they do for for gentlemen. So people are probably familiar with cotillions. I certainly yeah. am. I didn't know anything about a botillion until today. <laughs> so that was cool to learn a little bit about that. So talk a little bit about this foundation and this event and why it, it, uh, it's so near and dear to your heart. Well, I think the foundation does a great job of, of really trying to focus on giving the attention to children and, and sort of giving them something that they probably have never experienced, never thought to experience, um, and really put them on a pedestal of, being being and you talk about the young men um of being going from a, a boy to a man um and showing and sort of giving them that example especially with a lot of kids um in houston as well as just throughout the country that are without a father in in the household it gives it gives them something um so, to sort of look up to as well i talked about you know not having those examples in certain aspects whatever of me growing up when it comes to different sports and that type of thing. But a lot of these kids don't have the example of, of just what it looks like to be a man in their own household. And, um, and I think that's the one thing that they do a great job of, of bringing in. We have a program they're talking about doing right now of uh, in, inserting like golf into, into uh, these kids' life and sort of showing them, having athletes come back and sort of showing them where to golf. And, and then from there, Filtering off to different conversations, just about you know, just about life, just about things, just about different steps. How golf plays a major part in 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 business, which they do a great job of uh, of in, inserting into their lives as well. Um, 
their programs are not limited to just one or the other. Like you said, they do the cotillion, which is for the young ladies. And it's a big program. And a lot of the dads, you know, doing like sort of like date night with your daughters and, and, and going out and sort of still instilling that family aspect, um, you know, into the into the into the household and into their daughters. It's the same thing with these these young men of showing them that they can. It's cool to be on the good side of things. You get so many times, whatever, where, you know, the, the video, the music videos and everything else shows you that something else is cool, that the streets are cool and that all this other stuff is cool. But it's cool to be able to not have to look over your shoulder. It's cool to be able to sit there and actually have friends who are going to hold you accountable. It's cool for these types. And these, this is what they're teaching these kids. And um, I, I love being a part of stuff like that to where um, it's not just uh, you're adding value to, to a young man's life. You're adding value to him to where he now he can understand that, you know what, um, the, the conversations can be more, you know, centered around what college am I going to? Uh, you know, what am I going to major in? You know, um, like I, like you said earlier, I was, you know, I was a valedictorian. I mean, a salutatorian of, of our school. Like, so that type of stuff is cool to be like a lot of people don't look at that and and, and want to they, they want to rag on people, whatever, for being smart. Um but that's cool to be, you know, in that type of line, in that type of light. And uh, I think they really do a great job of shining light on those types of things and really pushing for for these kids to understand what's really cool. Um, you know, it, it's really cool to sit there and say that you're going to be a doctor. You're going to be a lawyer. You know, you, you, you can work in law enforcement. You can, I mean, like these type of things, whatever you can do and be on the good side of things and not have to worry about some of the things they have to deal with in their neighborhoods. That's not the only thing that's out there. That's the one thing that I, you know, I, I talked earlier about with, with, with Memphis and some of my friends that they, they see what they see every day and they, they sort of think that that's just the natural way of things. But early on, sometimes if you can connect with some of these kids and sort of show them that there's more to life, more, more to just even their city than just what they see in their neighborhood, right. it, gives them other, it gives them other options. And I think that's what Jack and Jill definitely does a great job of, of really showing them the options that they have outside of what they might see every day. What I thought was really cool. I, I was, as I, like I said, I did a lot, I did a deep dive in learning about the organization because I had heard of this, but I didn't know anything about what it was really about um, when you told me about it earlier today. And, uh, and I, I found that the national, the national uh, foundation because uh, these are the, the the one that we've been talking about specifically is the chapter there in your local area, the Sugarland, yeah. Missouri City, Greater Houston area. Um, but the national job is very very diverse. There's uh, there's men, women, mostly black, but there 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 are a couple of white folks on the executive board on the national level. But the 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 local one that the local chapter that you're that you've been talking about that we've been talking about tonight is all woman run. It's 100 yes. percent women uh, on the executive board. And, um, and that's, I, I, I think, and again, like you said, it's not just for young men. There's also, they, they also do the cotillion. They also do young women as well. I, I think that's, what's really beautiful about this organization is that it's, it, it's not focused on just one group of people, um, yes. or even one, you know, one sex or one race or anything like that. It's, 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 it's a collective focusing and, and the work that they've done is just, in, is incredible. And, and 
it's 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 fantastic. I see why you you've 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 grown to fondness for it and wanted to talk about it tonight because it's just uh it looks like a great organization and they've I've learned a lot about them today and and how what great work that they do. So it's it's a it's a beautiful organization. So thank you. No, thank you. Definitely. So uh later tonight, can I do this every we do this every week? My we've we've done this for over two years now. We've uh we've featured um I guess we're in the dozens now, dozens of different charities, some cigar related, some obviously like tonight, mostly are non-cigar related. Um, and uh, every week, my my wife and I will make a small donation uh, in honor of our guests. So uh, so later tonight, we'll be making a donation to the Sugarland chapter of Jack and Jill uh, in honor of uh, my guest tonight, Ken Hamlin. So you, uh, I, I placed it in the chat. Um, I'll also be in the show notes. You guys can learn a little bit more about this foundation, this specific chapter that Ken supports. And, uh, um, I encourage you guys to, 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 uh, to donate to it as well. If you feel so called, um, it's a great organization for young men and young women and, uh, giving them the direction in their lives that they need and show them more of the world than just what, what's in their neighborhood, as Ken said, just a few moments ago. So thank you, Ken, very much. Definitely. Thank you. So um wanted to get back to um we we're gonna cut back into the cigar industry and everything. We've we've kind of danced around it a little bit. Um so so you've we're gonna go back to your professional career in a second, but you you retire from sports and uh what's the uh, this isn't your first four, you've been retired for a couple of years now. Um Ooh, so this yeah. isn't so this isn't your <laughs> this isn't your fir- first professional for it. What did you what did you do immediately after uh, after retiring? Did you did you go into any other ventures like real estate, finance or anything else or or what, what did you do initially before before cigars kind of kept, came into the the world of Ken Hamlin? Well, one thing that I that I learned from um a couple of uh what I would call OGs in football, older guys who um you know they they spit a little bit of of knowledge and um some some people you know they hold on to some some they let it slip away but one thing one of the guys um told me was to 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 get started with your second career before your first one ends and um so while I was playing you know I invested in real estate um and, and sort of had that already going early in my career um so that when I did retire. I really didn't rush into anything. I, I, I had that going, um, sort of added to that, uh, to the real estate a little bit um, and sort of saw what I wanted to do. Also, I was already involved while I was playing. Um, I, I did a lot of radio and TV um, mm-hmm. and, and really and really was into that quite a bit. Uh, you know, with Seattle, me and Marcus Trufant would always do a weekly radio. Uh, when I got to Dallas, I was doing radio and then started mm-hmm. doing TV. I was on first uh, first take and doing that type of stuff. I was on ESPN quite a bit. So once I retired, I got I still got in t- tied in with that. Um, eventually uh, got on with Cox Sports and started doing the Arkansas Game Day um, mm-hmm. and had been doing that for the last seven years. Um, so I was doing stuff to sort of keep me you know, occupied and being involved still in football and, and, uh, you know, still part of especially college football, but doing some, some NFL stuff as well. Um, I actually did, um, I did the pregame show for, um, the Super Bowl, uh, New England versus Seattle, uh, for Sky Sports. So I went over to UK a couple of times, went over to London and, and worked with Sky Sports over in London. Oh, and wow. I actually did, 
I did their uh, pregame show uh, for the Super Bowl, um, an hour show on the field, and, and and got to watch that debacle happen uh, <laughs> firsthand. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I, I I've been involved. Why didn't uh, you run the ball? Sorry, go for yeah. Go oh ahead. Jesus! Oh Jesus! <laughs> Lord, that's still, ooh, that's a tough one. Um, but yeah, so I've been involved. I've been involved with TV, radio, and doing stuff like that. Um, ever since you know, I I, I hung up the cleats, um, and then it got into you know, I was smoking cigars while I played, and I got more involved into you know being in the lounges and going to the uh, IPCPR, and, and um, that's really the first time that I saw the pro cigar uh, booth, and and when I saw that booth, I took the little pamphlet they had. And I brought it back to Houston. You know, I go back to the cigar lounge and I'm like, guys, like, we need to go check this out. And um, I remember the first year, you know, I, I was still in that stage of, of waiting for everybody to sort of book their flight, waiting for everybody to get the, you know, get the registration, um, registration pass, missed out on it. And then the next year, I didn't wait on anybody. I didn't care who was coming. <laughs> I didn't care what was going on. I booked my flight. I registered. I got involved, and uh, I went down there for my for myself. But um, outside of outside of uh, you know just football, um, I've had other businesses uh, you know already going on and sort of added to it just to keep me uh keep me busy and really to sort of see. I mean, I of course you know, it's it's not really a, a hands on thing when you think about you know managing real estate and that type of stuff, but um that's what gave me the opportunity to sort of see what else was out there as well. So it'll be a, a conversation for another time, but I do want to dive into your, your foray into broadcast. Cause I remember I listened, I digested so much sports radio um, in the early aughts and the, the 2010s and everything. And I remember you yeah. um, uh, guesting a lot on ESPN radio, hearing you on the, on Galloway show, Galloway and company a few times. Yeah. I remember you and, uh, and it, 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 now it's obvious it, because you you started working outside my region, and so. I, but I always wondered why you never got into broadcasting because I thought you had a knack for it. Um, um, and I've been, so, I've been involved. It, it just um, you know, especially with bigger networks. I mean, you have to. Uh, you know, I, I think that sometimes uh, you know some of these gigs go to go to guys who. Are coming off of you know Hall of Fame careers and and yeah. they automatically get put into. Well, think about the Tom Brady oh. contract that he had that he oh, has yeah. waiting for oh, him. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, no joke. Definitely. Yeah, poor so, poor, I mean, Gre- poor things- Greg Olson gets kicked to third third string <laughs> and because Tom Brady's pay coming cut, up. Yeah, pay cut. yeah, we wait. We gotta wait. We gotta bring him <laughs> into here. So yeah, I mean it, it it it's a natural thing. And um, so I mean I like I said I mean I. I I've I've had times in my in my life where I had to wait my turn, so uh, I don't I don't mind that even in this aspect. I mean, I understand that if and when it does happen, it, it'll be the right time. And and just like I said, with anything else, I'm a gra- I'm gonna grab a hold of it. And uh, it, it, well, once you do, you know very, you're never letting go. You're never letting go. It'd so. be very hard for them to take it away. So for sure. <laughs> So starting with the, the, I guess, so the beginning of the arrival uh, was fostered in your beginning of Pro Cigar. So did, so I'm, I'm guessing that's how you stumbled into La Aurora. I've heard, I've heard so many great things about that tour, about how the La Aurora tour is like one of the things you, I mean, they're all great, but there's something specific, yeah. something very 
very unique about the La Aurora tour that just kind of captivates you. And it certainly, it, it sounds like it certainly did with you. Is that, is that when you first met Guillermo and Manuel and Noah and everything? Was that pro cigar? Pro cigar was the first time I, um, so it was actually a great thing that, uh, that all of that happened the year prior waiting with one of my friends and us not going, uh, and then it leading into me going by myself, um, the following year because I got to really focus in, I was there by myself. I got to really focus in on being in the factories, you know, learning and not really worried about just having fun and, you know, with my friends, but actually seeing the entire process. And, um, probably right before that, um, I dove into the, the, the growing part of tobacco and I, um, I actually ordered, um, tobacco seeds, um, <laughs> online. You don't say. I did. Uh, <laughs> I, I I started growing tobacco in my backyard. And <laughs> okay. Right. Yeah. I grew it. Um, the first the first time I grew it, I just wanted to see if it's going to grow. And and I mean, I had tobacco leaves that were taller than me. Uh, you know, in my backyard. And uh, my wife at one point, especially when I had the peachy dish in the garage with the lights on, and she was she was wondering what I was growing. <laughs> 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 She let me know right there, like, I'm not Ken, going honey, to jail. What, 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 what are you doing? <laughs> what, what is this? And um, so after I grew it, you know, I, I was like, okay, I did that. Cool. I pulled I pulled the, 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 the plants out. And then a few months later, I start seeing, you know, something what I think is probably weeds growing in the, in the, in the garden again. But the seeds had fell into the garden and it started growing again. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to take it to the next step. And um, so I remember coming back. I was at, before I went to Pro Cigar, I was at uh, IPCPR again. And one of the growers uh, for Reyes was, uh, I was walking around, I had met Nurka, um, and I met a whole bunch of other people, whatever. And I remember going to their booth and I asked him if he had a few minutes just to sit down. And I was like, told him what I was doing. And we sat down and we talked for about 30 minutes on just the steps and the process of, you know, moving throughout, uh, you know, growing tobacco. And I came back, um, grew it, grew the tobacco, cut it. I actually hung them right here under my palapa, hung them out <laughs> to sit there and dry. And I can remember uh, the next stage is the fermentation process. And I go on Google. And I'm like, got to figure out what I'm going to build to do the fermentation process. And I build this huge contraption. I mean, I went on Google and found this guy that was doing one. He had this styrofoam build out. And uh, I mean, I went to Home Depot, got this about three or four inch thick walls of styrofoam, um, had my, my electrician <laughs> friend come over and makeshift my, my heater to be able to go up to like 130. Um, all this stuff. I had all this stuff built out in the garage. Again, my wife was in the garage <laughs> like, what in the hell are you doing? Oh my gosh. Um, That's awesome. And I had, I mean, I, I had it all. I had the, the rods going in. I, I literally cut a door in the styrofoam where I can step into this thing and, and actually like be inside of it. Um, <laughs> and then I started seeing, I'm like, something really ain't working right, this, that, and the other. So when I got back to, when I went to Pro Cigar that year, um, I was at Reyes again, and uh, I talked to one of the master growers, and I was telling him, I was like, I'm at this process, and I'm, I built this thing, and, and I, he was like, well, how many leaves do you have? 
And I told him, I said, I got about 60 leaves. He said, no, you're doing too much. He simplified it so much to where he was like, you could take a rock, put the leaves in a bag, put a rock down, put the bag on top of that rock and put another rock on top of that and let them sit out there and you'll get the process done. I oh, built wow. this entire contraption that basically I had to trash because <laughs> what I did was way, what, what I did was for production of like 10 to 20,000 leaves. Oh my gosh. I had, I had oh. 60. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so it was going to take a while for me to get everything. So yeah, it was, it, but, but it, it actually, it gave me, it gave me that sort of like, okay, what's next? It gave me that sort of drive to sort of see what, so when I went to Pro Cigar, I mean, I was, I was very inquisitive about different things, asking questions. And so was when this I Leo, went to- Was the, this Leo Reyes that you were talking to from Reyes? Dallas Reyes? Uh, or? No. Yes. The older, uh, yes, it yes. was. I, That's yeah, I that guy's, a, when I that guy's a genius. Oh, he, listen, and he looked at me like I was crazy once I told him what I actually did. <laughs> He's he crazy. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. He was like, yeah, no, that's too much. But um, when I went to Laura, um, I went to Laura. I went to a few companies and I, I, cause I went early and uh, went to a couple of smaller companies, went to some bigger ones like Casada, Laura, Reyes. And um, I remember that first, uh, the first time I was there, we were at the gala. And um, uh, one of the other people from Laura introduced me to Guillermo. And he and he told me he's like I heard you were interested in possibly doing your cigar, and uh, you know we talking briefly. He was like, and I told him I was like, yeah, I'm I'm interested in actually creating my own cigar. Yes, and he was like, listen, I'm gonna give you my schedule. If you're really interested, let me know. You come back down, and we'll get we'll get going with it. Oh wow! And I told him, and I was like, listen, I'm not the one to play with. Like now, you give me a schedule, like. <laughs> I'm gonna be here. And uh he he did. He followed through. And probably within the next three or four weeks, I was back in Santiago and um he linked me up and he because uh, I didn't meet Manuel at the time. So he connected me with Manny. And from that's why we're like brothers now. We I mean, me, Guillermo, and Manny, we every time I went down, we were in the factory from like nine to five. We were eating dinner together. The the relationship just grew organically to where um, you know, they would drop me off from the factory at the apartment I had up there and they would ask me all the time, like, what do you have plans for the evening? My my statement to them always was, my plans do not have plans. Uh, so they would like, all right, pick you up for dinner at 7.30. And we were at dinner and we were discussing stuff then. We were just, you know, just having great conversations. And um, that's what it made it, it made it organically easy to 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 roll with Laura because first off, I saw what they did um, their history and and their their reputation, um, and, and it it made it a a natural fit to 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 be able to say you know what this is the factor that I'm gonna go with to to create my cigar. He must have really seen something you can because like I I remember when Carl Malone came out with his cigar and Carl talked about this. They're a they're, Guillermo's always kind of held everything very close to the vest and they don't yes. they don't work with a lot of people. Um, so Carl had to kind of break down a few barriers, um, mm -hmm. the, the way that he talked about it. I remember in a couple of interviews, so he must've really seen something in you and your dedication, obviously, uh, building this contraption. I'm sure, <laughs> yeah. sure that, I'm sure that yeah. story got around. Um, I but, told them that story too. Yeah. Um, 
but that, I mean, that's awesome. So, so you start, so you start working with Manuel, um, yeah. on the arrival, um, as we kind of talked about earlier in the show, um, you talked, you talked a little bit about your vision early on and everything too. So, and a little bit about the blending process and everything, walk a little, walk us a little bit through more, like, you know, you, you said you would smoke like Puritos and things like that. Like, building your cigar from, from, from the very beginning with Manuel, like, was it anything like you expected? Was it harder? Was it, you know, easier? Was it pretty much what you anticipated? Like, what did that look like for you as you were? I didn't, I really didn't know how much time would be invested in, 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 um, just saying, Hey, let's, let's, you know, let's try this, let's try this, let's try this because you know what you could easily, you know, put together a few blends and and and, and roll with the first thing you you put together, um, mm-hmm. because it could it could be great premium tobacco, um, it could actually be pretty good together, um, but once you start once you start playing with different tobacco and really seeing how they play off of each other, um, and how it's sort of, I mean just the different like ways that they could they could give you certain notes placed in different places um i i could see then that you know what this is not an overnight just hey let's throw something together and let's just make it work um and the one thing that i i appreciate manny for doing too is like taking me to class um where where it was like i said earlier it was i'm learning at the same time that I'm that I'm blending and putting things together. So it wasn't a just and, and because I sort of had this conversation with them, whether we were in the factory at dinner or whatever, they sort of understood after a while. Now, this is I mean, before I actually launched my cigar, this is two years, two years in the making of of, of before I even launched my cigar. So this is something that. Yeah, I was on the docket for a that, while. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't something that I just sit there and went down there one or two trips and then it was like, all right, we got it. Let's go. Um, this was this was some time that was placed. So this was time that we actually spent together too. Um, so this was this was uh, you know a relationship that was being built, and and it was almost like them filling me out to sort of see just how serious I was too. Um, and by me coming down there and actually you know I wasn't sending representation. I wasn't doing. I mean I was direct with Guillermo. I was direct with Manny. And um, once we got into what I quote unquote lab, it was really like I'm sitting back with open ears and just like, you know, my eyes are wide open and I'm just ready to learn. Um I, I feel like I can't speak for anybody else, but I had no cockiness on thinking that I knew that I knew more than anybody else. I, I came in to learn. I came in to really just, you know, take in everything that they could give me and and sort of see, all right, I know what I like here. And I and I let him know certain things that I did like. Of course, the Ecuadorian rapper was one thing that I you know, definitely wanted to play with. And then we just started working with different tobacco. And then we just started really seeing like, okay, what is this? What about this one? What about this one? And, you know, you go from, so like I said, I had the, the at first I had the Brazilian. When we, when we thought we had something, um, I had the Brazilian as my, uh, my uh, binder. And, okay. you know, we smoked, we smoked it. I took some home, let it sit for a little while, smoked it again. And then when I went back, we changed up a couple of things, ended up putting the Ecuadorian wrapper and binder. 
And I can remember uh, we got we got the, the crew to roll a bundle of 25. And I brought it into the into Manny's office. And um, we had already smoked it like individually and all that type of stuff. But all together, that first time, I handed him one out of the pack. I took one and we lit it right there at his, at his desk. And he was on, he got on the phone. So he's smoking it and he's on the phone. Now I'm smoking it and I'm like, in my head, I didn't want to say anything, but in my head, I'm like, damn, <laughs> I like this. <laughs> um, and I'm over here like, yeah, but I didn't want to get, I have my poker face on and I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to, I don't want to give him any leads on, you know, I like it or not or whatever. And I was just looking at him and I was waiting for him to say something. And I can remember he was smoking. He's still on the phone. He's smoking. And then he put the phone down and said, Ken, we got something. And then picked up the phone and kept smoking. I was like, that's what I'm talking about. Like, yeah, give me something. But when he said that, it sort of knew that we were on the same wavelength that, that you know what, okay, you, you, you got it. Like, you, you, this, is, this is where we were talking. This is what we were talking about. And it, and it probably was the slightest change. That one thing of putting the Brazilian whatever from the binder to the filler and then putting that Ecuadorian wrapper on, on the binder as well made a slight change, but it just it just sort of solidified, uh, I think, um, the direction that we were talking about going in. It, and it, you know, I talk about that aroma and just uh, like it gave it, I guess, that extra little oomph where I'm like, yeah, I can roll. We can go with that. And that's when I, when he gave me that sort of nod that 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 gave me that little like you know almost pat on the back like okay like like we're here and I and I and I started like in we've arrived moment, started, <laughs> no we have arrived yeah because I and I started looking back I started thinking like damn we you know we've been a long way like from this moment like we we've done quite a bit and it still isn't even launched yet like I mean but even just in that time I just thought about like all the enjoyment that I had leading up to that moment. And it was almost like, well, damn, this is actually, you know, it's actually about to like actually happen. Like we actually have something here. Like, so it, it made, it made that moment right there sort of stand out even more um, because I knew that was like the next stage and the next step to getting to that moment of, okay, now we can start, you know, really putting it in other people's hands possibly in the next few months. I really want to applaud you in a lot of ways, Ken, because um, there's so many ways, you know, celebrity, I'm using the quote fingers or not. Um, yeah. There's a lot of people, ways that people come into this business and they kind of, they, there, there's, I've seen it work in a lot of ways. I've seen it not work in a lot of ways, but I, I have to give you a lot of credit at the the pace that you've worked at. Um, you know, in June of this year, it'll be three years from when the cigar was announced you know, you announced in June of 2020 that that yep. the arrival was coming, and it's still you're, you 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 you. Of course, that was the middle of the pandemic, obviously. But yeah. you you've built you've built it slowly um, yeah. around this one around this one cigar, this one blend, and you've really let let it get, gain traction. You've let it you've get it in people's hands. You've let people experience it, uh, like myself. And it wasn't until late last uh, early last year. Um, early 22 was when I was first, when I first smoked it and, um, and I just couldn't stop all year long, but it was, um, 
it uh, I really just want to applaud the, the 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 patience that you exhibit exhibited on it. And then now it sounds like you're uh, I've heard that you're working on a, a second one, a second cigar that uh, is that and that's what you're smoking right now or or, or are yes, you. Indeed. OK, this is, this um, is it. And uh, so is that going to be released later this year or is that still to be determined? That will be this year. Um, actually, the cigar is done. Um, actually, I am um, reformatting. Uh, we, it will be a new box as well um, that will be unveiled. And that's the one thing that's sort of right now waiting on that production. Um, it's always the box. So that's been, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Trust me. And, and this is another, so like working with Johnny, um, and, and once I let him know that what I wanted to do and how we were talking about doing it, it, that's always a fun process. I mean, that whole creation of, because like, uh, and I've said it before, it's like that presentation. I, I look at, I look at the entire process, the cigar, the bands and the boxes. I look at, I, I, I take that whole thing and I say, it's like, it's like a woman. Um, the box is like the car that she's in. I mean, and you know, a woman in a nice car, you know, it, that gives you like that whole, like that double look. The band is like the dress she has on. You want that to have that certain type of presence as well. And then of course the cigar is that woman's body. That, that, that's sort of the, the added piece to it. So I looked at each piece or whatever that it was important for each piece to sort of stand on its own and have a certain type of uh, high quality presence. So this new box, same way, um, it's been a process of like sort of, you know, making sure that it comes out the way that, you know, I envisioned, the way that Johnny envisioned and, and, and sort of make sure that that's right. But once that's done, um, that will be the next, this next cigar will be jumping out, uh, hopefully within the next probably two months. Oh, terrific. Now, is it under the arrival brand or is it going to have like a whole other branding to it? So this one will not be. So this one, um, I can say this one, uh, is actually developed and produced, uh, from Eladio Diaz. Oh, um, wow. So yeah, okay. so uh, that's a whole nother yeah. This will made it Throw, throwing some names around, Ken. Okay, all right. <laughs> got we got this me sitting up was, in my chair. Okay, this one was special uh, a different way because sitting there and talking to Ladio, like this cat is sixty plus years in the in the cigar game, um, has been respected throughout. Um, a guy that has created some monsters, and um, he has that same. One thing that he asked me uh, initially was, you know, what are you trying to like, what are you trying to create? And he was talking about like, like strength palette, basically like, were you trying to do medium, you know, light, medium, full, full body cigars? What? And I told him, I was like, if I can be in that medium, medium to full with just a whole bunch of like flavors just hitting you. And he was like, that's where, that's where we're at. That's what I like doing. And so sitting with him and and oh my goodness it, it's it's a it's a it's a gym coming out every time like all right let's try this one let's do this one let's do this one so um, this one will, will come out of uh, out of his new factory um, and uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be a special one this one has six tobaccos in it oh wow um, and it is it is uh. Went, instead of going with the Sumatra, went with the Ecuadorian Connecticut wrapper. 
and uh something he knows but, a little about yeah okay <laughs> exactly exactly so yeah so i mean keeping that same that same concept but now this one will be uh this one still i mean i still a bunch of flavor a bunch of just uh notes and um it, it, it's gonna be it's gonna be a good one does it have a does it have a name yet or so what this is what we're doing so so the blue band that you see on on the cigar right there that's going to be one profile mm-hmm. um the 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 up and coming one will have a purple band and okay. that's going to be a, another profile and it will be under that that Connecticut type of profile okay um and uh th- there will soon to be a black band that will have a maduro type of profile okay. um that will be coming soon as well. And uh, it's going to be, it's going to be another special one to, to be able to, to work with uh, the next guy that uh, that's going to be putting that one together. So will it be like the arrival Connecticut or the arrival uh, purple or the arrival purple? And so what we're doing, so because even with the blue um, me and Manny are working and we got a couple of, couple of options right now that we've been working on. So there will be another blue coming out, and what we'll do is, oh, so wow. since that one's, oh no, it's it's it, yeah, we're 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 going to make some things happen, especially this year. It's gonna this year and next year will be uh will be some additions added, um, but the secondary under each color profile will have a secondary name. Oh, terrific, awesome, yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Well, that's exciting. Um, oh, yeah. very very oh, yeah. very exciting. Uh, got me oh, sit yeah. up in my chair there, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that I, name I, there, it, it is, I mean, to, so so I was able to um, sit with him and he gave me the story on how he created the uh, Oro Blanco. Yeah. And I had never smoked one at the moment when he told me the story. Mm-hmm. And so it just, it sort of just, I was like, wow. Like, and to, to smoke some of, some of the things that he had already and to really just sit down with him and sort of piece some things together. Uh, a few months later, I was able, I was gifted uh, Oro Blanco and mm-hmm. sat and smoked it. And I could just sort of think back to that story and just like, it was just a, it was a crazy, crazy experience. Uh, one of those moments where you sit back and I mean, you really truly enjoy that that interaction that you're having with that cigar in the moment yeah i there's two i've never smoked an oro blanco i uh, i worked in retail for a bit i sold a few of them but i never mm-hmm. um never smoked one uh still 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 gonna happen at one point i know I, i'll well, have the maybe. opportunity but um i i did smoke a couple of his cigars I smoked the 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 royale robusto um Oh, and yeah. I love that cigar. I thought it's one of the most, one of the greatest cigar experiences I've ever had. But I was down in the Dominican for, and I was on the Davidoff tour when he was with Davidoff, and we were at his store. I guess he's got he's got a store there in the DR, and uh, we were there as part of the tour. We were there and we hung out for the afternoon, and he let us, uh, me and the entire group that were on the tour, he let us smoke a, a cigar. You know his the Master Blend series that he created under Davidoff, and it was. One that I don't ever think it went to market, but it was basically for his 60th birthday, and he had used Cameroon wrapper on it, and there was Lakiro, which is definitely outside the Davidoff typical profile, and that cigar was incredible, too, and that was 
<laughs> unbelievable. Um, he just, I have. He just gave me. He just gave me. Um, and I haven't smoked it yet. I brought it back with me, but he just gave. He created a cigar to commemorate his sixty-three years in the cigar industry. Oh wow! And um, I can't wait to <laughs> to sit back and smoke this cigar. And I'm just trying to figure out when, when, and when I'm a, when I'm gonna sit down and actually, am I gonna have it with like a coffee and just sit back and really enjoy it? So I'm I'm waiting for that that, that time to pull it out, but uh, I can't wait. I know you hung out with my my partner Coop uh, down at Pro Cigar this year. Him and I had the opportunity to interview Eladio and Hanky Kellner, um, you know, a couple of years ago on that oh, tour, wow. and uh, it was through an interpreter. Um, we uh, through Klaus Kellner, you know, Hanky's uh-huh. sign. Uh, yep. Klaus was our interpreter, so I mean, we had a trifecta of greatness in that interview. And um, you know, I I haven't uh, I haven't been I, I I was green enough to where I. I understood the moment, but it didn't intimidate me as probably as much as it should have. But he was <laughs> such a stoic figure yes. of, and it was, it wasn't, but it, but there was, there's this warmness to him, yeah. you know, like, and it very, of it, it, he's has stoicism mastered, but it, he's a, he's a very warm individual and it's, he he wants to share his knowledge with everybody, and it, it and it, oh, yeah. it very it very much came across in the interview, and I really I very much enjoyed um, that that conversation with him. Um, although it was, I understand, I understand Spanish a little bit, but I'm still not I'm not good by any means, whatever. But I find myself when he starts talking, and he's speaking in Spanish most of the time, he's he's talking. I find myself stopping and listening to him, like. Like I really understand everything he's saying mm-hmm. and it's just, he has this smoothness, whatever with him, And it's just like, you understand first off how long he's been in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, you want to take in as much as you can on, on what he's saying, what he's talking about. Um, and just like soak it in. I yeah. gave him when we sat down um, first, I met him five or six years ago. And I met him at the all white party at, at the pro cigar. And um, I was with uh, a friend of mine introduced me to him and uh, told me that he wanted to give me a cigar. And so if you, anybody that doesn't know how he, me thinking I'm smoking a cigar already. So I'm like, Oh, thank you. So I reached out my hands and he's like, no, he has a presentation. Like he wants you to put everything down and he presents the cigar to you in like mm-hmm. a humble way. And he wants you two hands to receive this cigar. So the first time I did that, he gave me the cigar and ended up giving my friend one of the cigars too. My friend's from Santiago. So then Eladio leaves. So I look at my friend and I I see that cigar. They got tucked in their shirt. I got the one. I looked at my friend. I'm like, hey, uh. I'm gonna need that other cigar. He just gave you two. I'm like, I can't. Like, I you live here. I need. To, I need to go back with. I need to have experience of both of them, whatever. Just in case I smoke one, I need one other one. So they end up giving me that cigar. So when I seen him again last year, I told him I was like, those 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 cigars that you gave me four or five years ago, I still haven't smoked. I said, but when I leave here and I go home, I'm sitting down and I am smoking that cigar. And when he gives you a cigar, it's from the vault. It's from, I mean, it has no yeah. band on it. It's it's from yeah. the, it's from his stash. Like, 
I smoked this cigar and I was like, I hit it, I I hit his son up and was like, man, the thing is unbelievable. Like it, it is crazy how he can just knock out, knock it out the park, like one after the other. Mm-hmm. And uh so when I got when I got back to DR, uh, you know, I was telling him about my cigar, about the arrival, and I said, I, w- I want you to smoke it. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you one to smoke. And I'm about to go get up to go get a cigar. He said, hold on. And he, he told me, he said, I'm going to let you know what I think about your cigar. Like, and telling me not to be offend, offended if he has some remarks about it. And with me, like I said earlier, I come into this, you know, with not any, not being cocky or feeling like I know my way or anything. So I told him, I was like, be blunt. <laughs> like tell me exactly <laughs> what you think and I can remember me and my me and my friend Travis were in the room and he cut the cigar he started smoking it and he took a piece of the wrapper off of it and started chewing on it and told me exactly what it was he sit there and started breaking down some of the other cigar like I was like come yeah. on it, it was it was it was one of those moments where I just gained even more respect for him, um, and, and it just became where you know what like for 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 this this is I mean this is a guy that I'd be honored to 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 be able to to put some stuff together with. It was I mean the relationship that I built out out there and just in the cigar industry as well uh, all over. And I told this to Guillermo, I told this to Manny, and um, I was talking to a couple people uh, when I was down there. It's like everybody's been so open. Everybody's been so like receiving and like, you know, just what, what do you want to know? What do you want to learn? I mean, from the growers to the blenders, to the owners, I've, I've gotten no like kickback of, I don't want to help you or I don't want to see you succeed. I don't want, I mean, I, I got friends who, who own cigars um, that I've talked to just in the last couple of days and, and they've given me information and nuggets and, and just on, you know, expanding and growing, and it, it's all—it's all been helpful, and I appreciate awesome. all of it. That's awesome. Well, a lot of exciting things coming for the for the arrival brand and beyond. Uh, really excited for you, Ken. This is uh, this is some awesome, awesome stuff to look forward to. Um, very excited for you. Congratulations on everything. Uh, I know, I know, you're not done yet. Um, this is just the beginning and uh i'm i'm looking forward to it because uh your first foray has been uh awesome and uh i really look forward to seeing you grow in this business so thank you again i appreciate it uh last few questions i wanted to go into is just going back to your uh, your life a little bit um just because i was interested in talking to you about it and then we have a final few questions to conclude our tonight's conversation but um wanted to go back to your time. So you, you, we talked a little bit about growing up and then you became a professional uh, athlete. Obviously you, you, so you, you went to Arkansas, as you had mentioned before. Yeah. Uh, I know as a freshman, you led the, uh, as you were the, you led the team in tackles first defensive back to ever do it at the university of Arkansas yeah. where you became, you were an all American your freshman year. Yeah. That's that doesn't happen <laughs> very often. <laughs> no. um, 
this is a guy who, again, to your point earlier in his, in his, in his, uh, in his secondary career, you know, in, in your career in high, early high school and everything, you rode the bench and you yeah. were, you earned every step of the way and everything. So you, uh, you, you leave, you leave college at the end of your junior year, correct? And correct. you go into the draft, you're drafted in the second round by the Seattle Seahawks and you start right out the gate. And I told yeah. you the story before we got started. I, I said, I, I, I remember this. I, 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 um, I didn't know who, really who you were at the time. Um, but I, you definitely made an impression. I remember I was, I was in college and I was visiting a friend's family down in New Orleans and we were, the Seahawks were playing the saints and I was in a, I was in a, I was in a restaurant. I think it, it might've been a Chili's or something like that, but it was like a restaurant, but everyone was watching the game. Yeah. And you, laid out Dante Stallworth and it was this very, very awesome. It'd probably be probably flagged today, but who cares? Oh, it was awesome. Not, 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 a, not a question. I might've got kicked out of the game. If that happened <laughs> right now. Uh, the, the helmet went fly. And I remember the entire restaurant. We were getting, we were, everyone was watching the game, including myself. The, when that hit happened, the entire restaurant jumped. Yeah. And it was like this, Oh shit. And I was like, who the hell is that guy? And I remember seeing, and I, again, I didn't, I didn't, years later, I realized it was your, your, your first start. You, you told me it was your first game too. And I, I didn't even, I didn't even put that together, but I, I remember it. I remember it happening and I remember watching, I was like, oh my gosh. And then, um, so you had a really good, really great career at, in Seattle, you played 16 games, uh, for the first couple of years. And, um, and that was actually that was the great thing about your career, Ken. You 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 played every game almost every yeah. single year. Um, Two thousand five comes around. You get about it's about sixty games into the, six games into the season, and then you know what we're about to talk about. Um, an unfortunate incident happens. You're I guess you're hanging out. So you, some family had flown up yeah. to Seattle. Um, you took them out for a night on the town afterwards, and. Uh, it was this incident at, I guess, outside of a club that you had been to. And uh, one thing led to another and a, a fight ensued. And, and uh, I mean, it was horrific what happened to you. Um, I mean, I mean, <laughs> we were talking about the violence of your hit on Stallworth. I mean, um, unbelievable. You end up in the hospital. Yeah. Um, fractured skull, blood clots. I mean, unbelievable um i mean when you woke up in the hospital I'm, I'm, I'm presuming this was probably days after the incident or anything um i mean what those early moments i mean what i mean what was what did that feel like i mean like did you did you feel like your career was over did i mean so i actually um first off, i would say it, a fight didn't in, 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 like occur. Um, I re I remember this is the part that I remember um, coming out of the, out of the place. Now I had my brother, a couple of my friends, um, and then my the pre the season the end of the season. Uh, I had a uh, of the previous season. I had a uh, I had a scope on my shoulder. I did mm -hmm. my rehab in Houston. I did my rehab in Houston and my physical, my therapist um, 
And actually, the game that we were playing, it was Halloween weekend. The game that we were playing, we were playing against the Houston Texans. So my therapist wanted to come to the game. So her and her husband, I got them tickets to the game in Seattle. So they were there okay. as well. So we went out. I had a Sunday, uh, a Sunday spot that I would do after games. So we went to that spot. Wasn't really going on. Nothing, but, and a couple of our, my teammates and stuff, they wanted to go to another place. So we went to this other spot. Uh, I mean, had a good time. Nothing happened inside. It was all good. Um, when we walked outside, it looked like it was a whole nother club outside. Um, I mean, it was jam-packed. I mean, it was literally, you couldn't walk through the crowd. So I had a female friend with me. I had my brother, my friends, and then my physical therapist and her husband all with me. So I'm walking through the crowd. I'm pulling on my friend's hand to come through the crowd, and I lost her hand. And when I reached back to grab her hand, I touched another guy's hand. He goes crazy, uh, you know, calls me all type of names, this, that, and the other. Um, we exchanged words, but then somebody sprayed pepper spray. So everybody oh, scattered. Um, I remember coming up off the glass of the club, and when I backed up, I seen the guy that initially was talking crazy and, like, four other people surrounding me. And I could tell they didn't mean any goodwill towards me, whatever. So I'm backing up from them. I look across the street now, and my brother and my friend, one of my one of my close friends, whatever, they're getting jumped by about 15 people. Oh I'm still gosh. getting surrounded. I'm still getting surrounded by more people. I got my physical therapist and her husband trying to get them. So my car, where I was backing up, my car was right around the corner. So I'm backing up, trying to just get to there. I'm trying to call my brother to come. Uh, I'm trying to make sure everybody else is still moving that way. More people are surrounding me. So when I back up and I get to where that corner is, there was a guy hiding behind the corner. He pistol with me. And that's when all the craziness happened where all of those people jumped on me and it wasn't a fight. It was just them taking their turns, just, whatever, just hitting me. Oh yeah. My gosh. So the pistol whipped to the head. Is that what fractured yeah. your skull? They oh pistol whipped to the head and, prob and probably, probably a little bit of everything else too. Um, well, I heard they grabbed that, a sign too. You probably don't remember this yeah. now, they, but I heard the stop I, sign. The stop yeah. sign. Yeah. They was running oh. around with the stop sign. Yeah, definitely. Um, the guy that, that was hiding around the corner ended up pulling a gun on me and tried to shoot me, but it jammed. My brother ended up jumping on me. My brother and one of my friends ended up jumping on top of me and, and asking him, like, he was pleading with the guy, like, not to shoot me. Like, you've done enough. Don't kill him. Like, you've done enough. So that happened, and that's when the ambulance came, whatever, and I was taken to the hospital. Now, I woke up. I don't know how many hours later, but um, it was still that early morning, basically. Um, and I couldn't tell you after, you know, from the hit to getting to the hospital, I, I didn't have any recollection of, of any of that. Um, and so I remember waking up in the hospital and I woke up, I had a headache. Um, Come to find out, my, my I'm hand sorry. Was broke. I didn't mean to chuckle. I just, I'm sorry. No, that's that's yeah. terrible. Um, I, I can imagine. This. <laughs> yeah, and it's like so. I, 
me, I'm thinking that I just have a headache. Now, I haven't gotten any doctor that told me exactly what's wrong, nothing yet. So I'm just thinking I got a headache, my hands hurt. I'm thinking, all right, I need to get out of here because <laughs> I got practice tomorrow, basically. Or I got, you know, I got practice this week. That's what I'm thinking until um, the doctor started, like, periodically they would wake me up and just tell me, hey, talk. And I'm wondering, like, what do you mean, talk? Like, for what? Well, where my fracture was, it was where your speech pattern and everything is. So they were trying to make sure that I could still talk and speak, you know, freak like regular. Mm-hmm. Then, um, of course, they let me know that, you know, and then I'm I'm talking to them like, you know, about, you know, what's going on and moving around this and the other. And, OK, you're out football. And, and the doctor's like, you might not play again, like. This is serious. And he was letting me know the seriousness of the injury. And uh, then you, you got to start, you know, swallowing that pill a little bit. And and I was in denial because I was like, oh, hell no, that's not happening. Um, but then the scary part was, of course, you know, I, they, they had to call my mom. My mom, it's five, six, seven, eight o'clock in the morning in, in Houston. And just thinking about her getting that phone call and having to catch a flight to immediately come to Seattle and all that stuff was going on. Um, at the same time, that night, the guy that actually pistol with me was killed that night. Uh, after oh this gosh. incident happened, after this in- incident happened, he was killed a couple of blocks, maybe a block or two down the road. So now the whole hospital is basically under alert because his family thinks that I have something to do with his murder. So now I'm under an alias. I got, they're moving me around the hospital. Like I was in the hospital for seven days. So it was a whole experience. I had detectives coming, asking, questioning me about all this stuff going on, showing me the footage from the, from the, you know, from outside of the club, all this different stuff. So I ended up seeing the guy, he was basically, I mean, it was crazy how crowded it was outside. And the club was already still packed. Mm-hmm. And this guy was walking around outside with a, a jersey over his face, hiding his face. Um, come to find out, he had just got let out of jail. He was in a halfway house. And he was paying somebody in the halfway house to let him out at night. Just got out of jail off a manslaughter charge. And, and was... In the doing in the wrong place, me at the wrong place, him at the wrong place is a little bit of everything. Um, so that's sort of how that all played out. Um, you know, everybody had their own little injuries. My brother had a fractured jaw. Um, you know, my other friend got scuffed up. I mean, a little bit of everything, and it, it just uh, it was an unfortunate, unfortunate situation. And and on top of that, it was unfortunate because I had teammates that were there. And my teammates that were there didn't do anything. Uh, sat back and watched. So that made it even tougher because the guys that were there were guys that I felt like were friends, you know, almost like family friends. Well, yeah, so, teammates are supposed to be family, right? You know? It, they, exactly. Um, so, so 
it it uh it made that a little bit tougher. But um, I had a lot to deal with on my own, whatever. Just you know, I mean, I had probably a full month of headaches. Um, you know, where I would get up and I would get dizzy. I would, I mean, it was all type of stuff. Then I had to, I mean, I'm basically in the house, you know, the entire time. Um, my mom is there just, you know, making sure that I'm good. Uh, knowing that the season was over with, um, crazy part about that is that our team took that and they, they went on a run um, to make it to the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't going to be a part of that. And, and having, having the Super Bowl play out the way it played out made it even tougher because I got injured that year. My backup got injured that year and didn't play in the Super Bowl. His backup got injured and didn't play in the Super Bowl. We ended up playing in the Super Bowl with the practice squad safety. And they took advantage of it. Um, so that hurt even more because I knew I could have played a, a, a bigger role in, in that game. And to be on the sideline was sure. just, it was tough. It was tough to, to, to sort of just live through. Just compounding onto the trauma, just oh, everything. Yeah. Definitely. And then still, you know, still having to battle and go see all these specialists and doctors and, and, and try to get cleared to be able to even play football again. It just made it, I mean, it was a, it was an uphill battle. Another, you know, another challenge, another roadblock, but, um, you know, luckily I was, I was able to, to be able to get clear of all the headaches and everything else, all the blood clots that I had. I mean, my head was basically covered in blood clots. Um, for all of that to to subside and go down um i mean it was it was definitely it was definitely the man upstairs watching over me and uh and uh you know making sure that i came back from from something that could have been a lot worse than what it was what it, it was already bad but it could have been a lot worse well the, the the remarkable thing is you do come back and you play you play 16 yeah. games the next season you play a full season yeah. the next season yeah i was one of the guys that i mean i, I never came out the field um I played I played all three downs and, and punt was the only time that I came out the field. And that was in Seattle and and in Dallas. So um to miss that time was tough. It was real tough. Um but then I had to play the next year. And then to play the next year, uh it was all it it was it was strictly business. Um, you know, not knowing, and this is the the tough part about it, is that I couldn't you could have been the guy that 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 initiated and, and did all that stuff, whatever to me. I wouldn't know. Mm-hmm. I didn't know who was who. So to sure. be in Seattle for a whole nother year, I mean, I went out one time and I remember I had I had security with me and, and stuff, whatever. And I went out and I walked in this club and you know, you, you see people looking at you and you you don't know whether it's cause they're looking at you because they just know who you are as a football player, or they know what happened to you or they're the people that actually did it. (laughs) You don't know. So it was uncomfortable about 30 minutes of me being in that place, whatever. And I was like, yeah, I can't do this. And I, I went back home. I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to do this. So that entire year was just strictly like, all right, I'm, I'm focused on one thing. And I told my agent, I was like, when my contract's up, I got to get back down South. Like I got to get back something to a comfortable. Yeah. The the locker room must've been tough for you too then. Oh, it was because even even the year that we made the Super Bowl run after after the incident happened to me, some of my teammates that I really like that really, you know, you know, vibed with me, 
they they got into it with the guys that were they're actually they were there because they questioned them on how could you allow how could you allow this to happen basically like and and they heard the reports of what actually happened and what they actually didn't do and it became an issue in the locker room but they worked through it um and and i think it it made the team closer um to an extent it it definitely it definitely gave them um something to 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 sort of push them even further mm-hmm. um but yeah that next year was was for me it was strictly business there was no oh this is my these are you know it was basically these are my colleagues um and and I'm here to play and play for my next destination wow and that's a that's just an unbelievable i mean to not just live through that but to actually continue to have a unbelievable career afterwards i mean you had a pro bowl season after that yeah you know um when you when you were a dallas cowboy and everything but there i'll were- tell you this real quick i'll tell you this real quick whatever because most people don't most people haven't they don't know this whatever because it wasn't it wasn't put out in the news and everything so that following year i played and uh i made um i i got the ed block courage award uh that year and so after the season you know that's when free agency starts. Whatever. My sure. first visit was to New Orleans. my first visit was to New Orleans. I've heard this. Yeah. So you were meeting with yeah. Mickey Loomis, right? Yeah. So I, the day before that, I met with some of the other coaches. I was in I was in town two or three days, and um, it it seemed like I was going to be a saint. Like it, it, they were showing me areas where I could live, this, that, and the other. Um, it didn't seem like I was going to leave there there at least without an offer, and um. So the, the the next day I'm I'm meeting with Mickey Loomis. We're in his office, we're talking. Next thing I know, I have a seizure on his floor. I wake up in the hospital. I've heard this. Yeah. Yeah, I wake up oh. in the hospital. And um at that moment, I felt like it's over. Like I didn't know what happened in Seattle. But now I'm having, I guess, side effects, whatever, from this, whatever. Like, it's it's done. Like, nobody's going to mess with me. This is going to be all over ESPN, da-da-da, whatever. And, you know, I remember talking to my my mom on the phone when I finally came to in the hospital. And um, I was just like, yeah, it's, it's done. Come to find out, you know, I get on the phone with my agent. He had been talking to a few people, this, that, and the other. Um, so from the New Orleans hospital, they fly me to Dallas. Cowboys pick me up from the airport, take me straight to the hospital. They running all these different tests. I was in I was in Dallas for about five days, and every day, you know, Jerry would call me and say, "Hey, we, you know, we're working on some things, whatever, but just just relax you know just you know we're working on something we'll just relax just working on it you know just mm-hmm. hopefully everything's good for you not in the hotel relax and that's when i i went from new orleans having a seizure on the floor of the general manager's office and then for it not to even i mean and this is the you know this was still early on social media stuff and all that so luckily we were in a time that it wasn't as big uh, then as it is now, because of course it probably would have leaked some type of way or whatever the case may be. But um, I respect Mickey Loomis um, and that organization for not really uh, putting 
you know, putting it out there like that. But they allowed me to go and, and get to Dallas and they ended up signing me to that one year deal mm-hmm. to basically see <laughs> was I was I functional or not. And that was the year that I had my Pro Bowl year. Yeah, again, you play all 16 games for Dallas. Yep. And yeah, I mean, that was a unbelievable season. Um that was the that was your you had career highs and in interceptions. Oh, yeah. Uh five, I think it was like five or six. Yeah. Um and yeah, I mean what a what a year for that that was. And so this is one little side trip because you 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 kind of set me up for this earlier in the interview. We were talking about your time playing baseball and you look at contracts now with baseball players, but you're rewarded with a after the season, you're rewarded with a I think it was a six year deal, right? Six year five, five years, five, five years, 30 plus million. So at the time was a lot of money. Um, yeah, this is something I've always wanted to ask an NFL player because I've never understood it. So, baseball players they sign these gargantuan deals, and basically, the team's on the hook, you know, pool, yeah, yeah, pool signs that 10 year deal with the Angels, he he plays almost the length of it, but they pay the entire amount. Mm-hmm. But for ten years, so, but you signed a five-year deal. But you were only in Dallas for two three. more seasons, three, yeah. three total. Two but more, two more two seasons. More, yep. So how does that how does that work? If you have a five-year deal, how did how did you only play two more seasons? So so with all contracts, with all these contracts, really only the first three years matter. Um, okay. So you 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 get a guarantee, and that guarantee is basically for those two or three years. Um, after that, they can cut you and not have to. So this is where that whole loyalty thing, whatever, sort of doesn't really fly in football because they can sign you to that five-year deal, but after a couple of years, they could sit there and make a decision and not be on the hook for any of the rest of it. They're only on the hook for that guaranteed amount. So that's where you see someone who, and now the numbers are a lot higher, whatever, but they'll say that he's guaranteed a deck, he's guaranteed a hundred and whatever million even though his contract is for 200 and something. He's only, he's only guaranteed that amount because after that, they could make a decision to go a different direction and they wouldn't wow. have to worry about paying any of the rest of it. So it's only really those first couple of years of the contract that they're really on the hook for. Unless you're Kirk Cousins and you get the whole thing guaranteed, which oh, is crazy. Yeah, now, yeah. Now, yeah. yeah, now with the Deshaun Watson and Kirk Cousins, how he worked that deal, I mean – those, yeah, that's why that's why these teams are all upset with the Cleveland Browns right now because Deshaun got 230 guaranteed. Every quarterback that has uh, uh, their 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 resume says they have more more things on it than than Deshaun. They're asking for that. That's why yeah. the whole that's why the whole Lamar Jackson situation is going to be crazy because mm-hmm. he he wants that. He has sure. an MVP. He has all these different things on his roster, on his on his uh Rose resume. I gotta get more than the guy that got this. So that's why he's he's looking at I need more than 230 million. Yeah, well, even Daniel Jones is asking for like an insane amount of money for and yeah. he's done nothing. Um yep, exactly. That, that's crazy. But but you look at numbers wise and everything, that that's where everybody goes up. My numbers are the same as his or better than his. I should get more than him. And that's what it is gonna be every year. And the number is going to get crazier and crazier. So you, you play a couple more years in Dallas and you, you yep. great, great seasons, uh, you know, uh, 
2000 and 2008, you play all 16 games again. You actually have more tackles, yeah. um, less interceptions, but um, more more tackles. Uh, have a great campaign. 2009, you played 12 of 16 games. Did you get injured or? Yeah, I got I got caught with some friendly fire. My own teammate. Oh, <laughs> my geez. own teammate. My own teammate. <laughs> I, I, I shoot the gap and make a tackle on the running back. And my teammate, the linebacker, he runs in there blind. And instead of hitting the, anybody else, he hits me and he hits my ankle. I get a high ankle oh, sprain. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, and a high so, ankle sprain, of course. Jeez. Those yeah. the worst. Oh, no. It's, yeah. So me, me, and that, it was a Green Bay game. Uh, actually, me and Mark Colombo, the offensive lineman, um, got similar injuries. Actually, he broke his ankle. And I sprained my high ankle, and they actually say that his is better off than mine because it's it's almost better to break it than to actually just have a high ankle sprain. Mm, so yeah, high ankle sprains are the worst. Oh, it's terrible. Well, that's what uh, that's yeah, what killed yeah. Ratliff's career. The defensive tackle yeah. for the Cowboys was that the, he, he had a couple high two ankle aisles, yeah. high ankle sprains. So and then so yeah. you you go to Baltimore for I guess like half a year in 2010, um, and then and I finish in Indianapolis. Bliss, yeah. Um, but yeah, you, and then you had a yeah. I guess you had a playoff. You had a playoff. Uh, um, yeah, I had a uh, game two, in Indianapolis, two, right? In Indianapolis, yep, yep. That was that was. I mean, it was it was a good little run that we had. I was able to come in there, um, and within a, within a week, uh, you know, I was uh, I was on, on the on the field and then ended up starting the game, whatever in the playoffs. So it, it, it was, it was a good one. Yeah. Then you, you, you call it a career after that. Was it, was it injuries or you just, just did you decide to hang it up or, or what was the. Yeah. I, I, I had a feeling probably the year that like early on in that year. Um, and then that right after that season, that's when we had the lockout mm-hmm. and that sort of solidified it a little bit for me. Um, and I just, I really felt like it was time to to move on. And then, of course, the league was going more into the whole, you know, safety, uh, you know, role of not allowing. That's when, you know, they started making a lot of the changes with hits and everything like that. So it, was just, it just seemed like the right time to, to, to move on. Yeah. Great career, Go Ken. Soon. Great career. Yeah. I mean, just – Wish I wish I could have got to see you play longer, but it was it. I, I'm not a Cowboys fan, but it, you know I've lived here the last 20 plus years, and so I got to play. I got to see. I've got to see a lot of a lot of great Cowboys play, and, and you were you were always one a, a great one to watch. So uh, great career. But uh, um, got a last couple of questions here to conclude our conversation tonight. Again, Ken, thank you so much for all your time. Uh, really excited for the arrival. Uh, the new cigars coming out. So, uh, so much to look forward to. Um, yes, sir. You, you kind of talked a little bit about this maybe a second ago with when you were smoking that cigar that Eladio gave you. Um, but this is our Asylum Moment, which is uh, brought to you by Asylum Cigars. Refuge is more than just a physical place. It can be a state of mind. Some of life's greatest reflections can be found in our own personal asylum. So moments like these were made for Asylum Cigars. So light up an asylum and choose your refuge. This uh, this segment can, is about uh, the cigar or the moment where it's just you and the cigar. You know, a lot. This is a very community driven industry. Obviously, uh, your time at Pro Cigar, you know, time at IPCPR now PCAs, 
where you're where your time's in the shops, where you're around people a lot, smoking cigars. And that's what that's what this industry is great for. But every so often we get to experience a moment where it's just the cigar and us, you know, just ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, what's a moment that you can remember? And I'm sure you've had several of these over the years, but what's a moment that you can remember where you were smoking a cigar and it was just about the moment? Do you what was the cigar, if you can recall, and what was that moment about? I think the first first one that sort of quickly popped in my mind, I, I talked about earlier, is uh, that Oro Blanco and 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 being gifted it. Uh, actually, uh, one of my friends, the uh, uh, guy Dave, that I'm going to Switzerland with uh, at the end of this month. Um, we were the day before we were talking in the shop, and I don't know how we got on the conversation of Oro Blanco, but um, he asked me, "Have I had one?" And I was like, "No, I haven't had one. Uh, you know, haven't had the opportunity, or, or just haven't thought to." And I told him, I said, I, I bought like $500 worth of cigars. I just haven't bought one cigar. <laughs> um, and so the next day we were playing in a golf tournament and um, we get in the golf cart and he pulls out his bag and he grabs the cigar. He's like, here, he said, like, you can smoke it now or, you know, if you want or you can smoke later. And I told him, I said, look, I'm not smoking this on the golf course. Like, that's not happening. <laughs> like, so travesty. Uh, oh, my goodness. I wouldn't have golfed. I'd have been in the cart the whole time, whatever. It would have been terrible. So um, I remember uh, I was I was actually going to Vegas in, uh, the following week, and I was at 8 Lounge. And they had an event later on that afternoon. But I, I actually got there early. I went on a patio by myself. I sat in the corner by myself. And I really just made it about this. Like, I'm going to smoke this and really just enjoy it. I smoked it down to the nub. I mean, it it was, I mean, the experience was amazing. Um, And and it, you know, I love those type of moments when you can really dive into, you know, like, like you said, like that, that sort of interaction and that relationship with that cigar in that moment. And um, I would say that was one that was just one that stuck with me um, just because of the, the, the whole myth behind the cigar being able to, get the story, the backstory from, from the creator himself. Uh, it made it even more special because now I can sort of take those moments that he was talking about and sort of almost picture it while I'm smoking that cigar. Uh, another one I would say is, uh, you know, after I did that first bundle uh, of the arrival and I got home and smoked one right here, uh, you know, just sitting back by myself, whatever. And after having that quick moment with, Manny in his office, I was able to actually just sit back, whatever, and really say, you know what, like, it's happening, like, um, and and take that moment of understanding that the the thought process of the possibility of having a cigar, and then mm-hmm. the process of actually going through creating this cigar has led to this moment right here, and I could feel that in that at that moment I could, you know, I could sort of feel that you know what. This, this is, you know, the next time, whatever, it's like, we're going to be putting them in other people's hands. Like, we're, I'm going to be, you know, actually being able to say, hey, this is my cigar and give it to somebody and have them try it and, and have that moment of seeing what they think about it. So that that sort of moment just gave me sort of chills of, you know, um, you know, what was to come. Um, so that was a whole nother experience that that was more personal because I knew this was something that I I I'm, I was a. Uh, you know, responsible for. We talk about these moments where uh, throughout tonight's conversation, you talked about these moments where people have handed you cigars. 
in that moment, right? Like you were talking about. And now, now the tables have turned. You get to do the yeah. now. You get to do the gifting, and yeah. I think that's that's a really cool full circle moment for you. Um, that's just really awesome. Well, awesome. Well, that was our asylum moment. This is our last question of the night. Can I look down at our clock? I can't believe how long we've been talking. Um, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you so much problem. for this time. Um, I'm unbelievably grateful. Um, I know as a, as a professional athlete, you know, you're, you're used to interviews being 15, 20 minutes long. And, you know, here we are a couple hours, more than a couple hours into this and, for you to hey, give me this time, enjoying, thank you. When you enjoy, when you enjoy yourself, I mean, time flies. So we're good. Thank you, thank you so much. So, so our final question of the night is always our curveball segment, which is brought to you by Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust. Fastballs or curveballs, it doesn't matter. Since the company's inception, Steve Sock has been knocking them out of the park. Eight consecutive years, count them up. Eight consecutive years in the consensus top three. Congratulations to our good friend, Mr. Steve. Saka. So uh, again, this is our last question of the night. It's meant to be kind of fun and everything. I, I heard this question. I can't tell you where just, I think it was like on an Instagram reel or something like that. And I didn't ever, I didn't actually know who was asking it and I didn't know who they were asking, but I was like, this is a question I want to ask somebody. And as I was thinking over the last couple of weeks, I was like, I want to ask Ken Hamlin this question. Cause I think I I'm really interested to hear the answer from you because you've had a, incredible life so far you're still a young man um and you've had a lot of trials and tribulations as we've talked about just a couple of them tonight yeah um you have children now as i do so i i just thought this would be a great question to ask you so here it is (laughs) what's a time in your life that you wish that had been video recorded so that you could so that you could share it and who would you share it with Oh, mm. a time in my life that was video recorded. That you wish had been video recorded so that and you wish, could share wish that, Yeah, that you could share it now oh. and who would you share it with? You know what? I, I would say, and this is crazy that it wasn't video, videotaped, whatever, but um, so the, 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 the day that I got drafted, um, and it's for, for multiple reasons. Um, I think it shows um, the family ties and how tight, you know, like my family uh, that I had around me was at the same time, you know, certain accomplishments. When you think about all of the things, uh, you know, from childhood to, you know, school and everything, college and things, all the different roadblocks and everything that, um, that I've had that, you know, really go through and endure that moment of everything that you sort of worked for, everything that you put up with, everything that you you had to deal with came to this moment of this is what it was for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and really seeing and then seeing like, you know, my mom and, and her her like visual and and, and the, the the feeling of of you know sort of respect and appreciation and just you know being proud uh Mm -hmm. my brothers my sister and how proud they were of me and 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 understanding what i had been through uh understanding what i've i've done to get to this moment i think it all built up for that moment and and to be able to sort of capture that and then of course 
I, I would I would have loved to be able to show that to my kids um, so they can sort of see. Uh, and if we could sort of put that in pieces of the buildup and then the actual accomplishment would have been great. So, so, that, so they can see the, the, the hard work that it takes to to accomplish certain things. Um, the the sort of no quit and no give up attitude uh, to understand that you can go through hard times and still come up on top. Yeah. Um, I think that that is, I mean, especially in this day and age where, I mean, you know, so much is given, you know, to, to our kids and, and, and to kids in general, sure. uh, to understand what you need to like the, what you need to do to really, you know, put your head down and just go, go get something that you really want. Um, mm -hmm. That would have been a moment that, uh, in moments that I would have loved to have been captured and and be able to, to sort of share with my kids and and share with just smaller individuals, uh, younger kids around me, so they can understand that it doesn't matter where you're at. I mean, Frazier wasn't a highly touted high, highly touted uh, football community. Um, mm -hmm. The school we weren't pushing out a whole bunch of college, you know, athletes and and NFL players uh, to this date. I'm, I think I'm the only NFL player that's come out of Fraser. Um, but you can still make it. Yeah. And, and just to sort of let them understand that regardless of what your situation is, it still boils down to you. And the decision that you make that you want to do it, mm -hmm. doesn't matter anything else around it, whatever. You can sit there and still be in the roughest situation and still make it out. And uh, I think that that right there could be a, a, a point for a lot of different kids to sort of see and to understand that they don't have to just just soak in and really just die and let their dreams die because of their situations around them. They can still keep those dreams and, and definitely accomplish them. Yeah, you can sit on the bench. You can, you know, you can spend your lunch hour playing chess. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, you can come from a smaller school and you can you can make it. It's it's the work Definitely. that you put in. Unbelievable. Just that's that's awesome. That's awesome, Ken. Thank you so much again for your time tonight. Uh thank you to our audience as well for staying up late with us as always and catching this live. If you're uh catching our shows live, you're, it's always on our Facebook page, Los Fumar. You can always check us out every Sunday night at 9:30 Central. Um you know, we have some great shows coming up in the next couple of weeks and uh, definitely don't want to miss those. Uh, we've got uh, some great guests coming up and uh, starting with next week, uh, we've got Howard Gums of Howard G Cigars will be returning ah, to, uh, yeah, he'll be returning to, uh, he, this will be the second time I've had him on my show. I, I love Howard. Um, and uh, he's, he's got a, he's got a great story as well. Uh, and uh, really looking forward to talking to him about some of the stuff that's coming from Howard G. Cigars next week. But uh, you can check us out wherever uh, on our YouTube channel as well, Ellis Fumar. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button, y'all. And uh, if you are listening to us later, wherever you listen to podcasts, you can do that wherever you find a podcast, whether that be on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Podbean, or wherever you listen to podcasts, including iHeartRadio. Just hit the download, subscribe, and review button. If you are a subscriber, do me a favor, hit unsubscribe. And, but don't forget to hit resubscribe because that helps my numbers so that I can get great guests like Ken Hamlin uh, whenever I want. So uh, thanks to everyone. All those likes, shares, and comments. Keep them coming. Uh, this was our 243rd take. It's my pleasure tonight to bring Ken 
and uh, have a great conversation with him. So for everyone out there, live from the Alec Bradley Lone Star Studio of Azle, Texas, I'm your host, Barry Duplissy, as always. And guess what, everybody? We'll see you next time.